Hey, Blenders, it's our last episode of the year, which means we are running through our individual top tens, which will lead up to the collective Real Blend top five movies of 2022. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 243 of Real Blend, a podcast that has 17 movies tied for 11th place. My name is Sean O'Connell, and on this week's show, it's our favorite movies of 2022. It's an end-of-the-year tradition that we love doing on this show, where we all get together, put our top 10 lists in order, uh, and then within a month or so, forget what we put on them. But that's okay. It's still exciting when we're doing it in this week's show. Starting uh, and and joined, as always, uh, by the boys, Jake Hamilton of Fox Air 2 in Chicago, who is preparing for, is it fair to call it Thundersnow? Thundersnow? I'm I'm preparing for the perfect opportunity to watch the thing and the shining is what I'm preparing uh, for because we've got a uh, we got a big storm coming this way and uh, it should be fun. You know the the fun part about doing these top ten lists I have now discovered is in a year we will do a really fun premium episode where we do yes, a this true. or that between yep. our top tens from 2022 to 2021, which we spend a majority of that time going, oh my God, I put that at number four? Oh my yeah. God, I put that movie at number three? Which again, <laughs> yeah. I think lends to the perspective of like, and we say this every time, that these, these, these are just a snapshot of a moment. That's all they are. Yep. And I love that we pit movies against each other. Like that's yeah. really- As the way God intended. fair. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and by God, he means Kevin McCarthy. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And the premium and, and Jake is referencing a premium that we just recorded, which is great about our 2020 to 2021. Uh, is that out now, Gabe, as we're, people are hearing yeah, this? That's, that dropped uh, actually today that we're today. All right, cool. So, yeah, yeah. We're excited about that. Listen to that episode because we never really remember what's on our top tens. And yeah, we had some pretty interesting discussions about that. Yeah. But the, 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 you know what makes me kind of sad is that I, I'm not I'm I'm certain the last two years, Kevin and I have had the same number ones, and it's been a really nice, like, you know, like we were cuffed together in a relationship, and now I feel like we're breaking yeah. up because we have different number ones this you year. You know my one and two? I know you're one. Oh, yeah, it's true. And it's not my one. 
Oh, Why not isn't even? It? Well, well, we'll get to it in a minute. Should, <laughs> should be all your Gabe number Kovac. ones. Gabe Kovacs, who was uh, chiming in as well, too. Hi, Gabe. Don't we do a real blend uh, top five? Well, why don't I throw it to Gabe let's, for the rules we'll, of the show? <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Gabe, would you want to do it now? Uh, well, let's let's get through housekeeping and then we'll get into oh, today's fast. topic. Okay. Yep. Hello, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us. Head down, give us a like and a subscribe. Turn on your notifications every Friday. Join the notification crew uh, as they listen to Real Blend once it goes up around 730 Eastern time. Or, of course, listen anytime you guys want to. Wherever you get your podcast needs met. Uh, Kevin mentioned the premium episodes. Those drop on Monday. If you want to figure out how to sign up for Real Blend Premium, which gives you an ad free version of the show. Uh, an extra segment every Monday, as we mentioned, and a newsletter from me every other week. Check the description for the information on where to sign up. You guys know the drill, but this episode is going to be special. And Gabe has a couple of uh, rules. Rules? It's not like a well, game. First, it's first, just this is how we're doing it. First, let me finish housekeeping, which is uh, oh, that's right. beautifully we're very said. excited to get there. Beautifully said, Sean. But uh, next week is going to be all of that is uh, irrelevant because we are we're taking a week off. So. Uh, this is dropping on the 30th. That's when you folks are listening to this, or, or at least you're the first opportunity. Happy uh, New are, Year. Oh, happy New Year. We are not going to have a uh, premium episode drop on the Monday after this, and we are not going to have a full episode drop on the Friday after this. Uh, but we will be back with our first episode of the new year on <laughs> the 13th, which is going to feature uh, Tom Hanks. Tom, not because Tom gonna be Hanks. An all-time interview for it's gonna be worth the wait is what i hope so i wanted to let the folks know up top rather than wait until at the end of the show when you're hearing this uh we're gonna take some some time off and then we'll be back hot and heavy in january and as uh jake joked the guest list uh for the rest of 2023 is expected to go downhill fast we're gonna phone it in (laughs) (laughs) if nolan joins us for oppenheimer that that's gone way up do you think okay now i'll just get your opinion on this now because when we got him for Tenet, mm-hmm. it was a TV slot pair. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You think we're any closer to potentially getting him solo in person? For time. For a longer I, time. I, I would. Hope I mean, so. that would be like a yeah, dream. That interview would be explosive. Well, we'll ask uh, the, we'll ask the, uh, the listeners at home to just send us good vibes throughout the year for that. For that are we switching to Oppenheimer at the end of the show now? I don't know. I don't know. We'll oh, see. oh my are God, you? Kevin! The wheels are turning in Kevin's Kevin's <laughs> mind. Uh, well, Sean, would you like me to get to it now? Should we? Should we get to our segment? Yeah, sure. Let's get to it. Are you leading the way? What? Are we, what? How are we doing? This? You're, yes, you're leading the way, but you, I'll I'm give throwing a quick... it to Gabe to set up the rules. That's what I'm doing. So yes, we're gonna we're gonna go through our top ten list, which is gonna result in the show's top five. I will just quickly go over yes. how it's gonna work, yes. and then I'll give it back to Sean uh, for the segment itself. The way that it works, the discussion is going to work. Uh, each of these guys is going to get, we're going to go 10 through number ones, uh, and they're going to reveal where they rank the films of this year. But we're going to hold off on discussing films until we reach its highest point in the list. So, for instance, if Kevin's number 10 is Jake's number two, we'll wait until we get to Jake's number two, and then everyone will get to discuss uh, the film as they like. But at the end of this segment, when everyone goes through their lists, um, I have calculated up a score, and we have. Top five films of this year, according to Real Blend. And uh, it's interesting this year, as I'll say, but you'll have to stay tuned. So, Sean, take yes. it away. All right. Well, we're going to start with uh, BDK, who is going uh, number 10. Kevin, why don't you tell us what your number 10 pick is, and then I will let you know whether we're going to discuss it or hold it. I wonder if I don't. I'm assuming this is not on either, is your, either of y'all's list, but I went with uh, Clerks 3. Uh, we are going to discuss it. Game on. Right now? 
Yeah. Great. Didn't make anyone um, else's list. That's perfect. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 uh, well, first of all, I mean, like I, it's been noted on this show that uh, clearly I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, but growing up, like, you know, when I saw Clerks and Clerks 2 and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, all those movies meant so much to me. So the ending of this film, I just found to be so deeply emotional. And there's a lot of great references to filmmakers that I love, but I just found the movie to be beautifully heartwarming. Uh, and I was, I think Brian O'Holler and his acting over the years from the first to the third, he has a monologue in this film that he gives in the store before he, uh, before something happens to the character. I won't say what it is um, that I just thought was beautiful. And I thought that Kevin did a really good job with that scene in particular, um, kind of tiptoeing around it. Essentially there's like a very important monologue he's giving. And because of the movies dealing with the idea that they're shooting the clerks movie within clerks three, um, Kevin cuts back and forth between black and white, which is this idea of, reality and film uh, and the idea that he always kind of saw clerks in color, even though he shot the first in black and white. Um, but I thought that monologue was just incredible, incredibly delivered, written. Um, and I just love spending time with Dante and Randall. I really do. I love those characters. I love how much fun they have together. Also, like at the end of the day, as raunchy as those films are, the friendship is really rooted in a grounded, beautiful reality of like two people who just live their lives together and go through the ups and downs of what their lives are. Um, I, th I think the Clerks films are a lot more. This is a lot more of a drama um, than 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 the earlier two, even though the second one was definitely had some dramatic elements as well. So I, I just as a Smith fan, I, don't, I, I think the Clerks three is it's not a perfect film. I think that they're a little too long and there's some moments that I thought could have been, you know, edited down a bit. But just from an emotional perspective, as we give our favorites of the year. Uh, this was definitely one of the big highlights for me. I, I just love that film. And uh, I'll just use this opportunity to plug our interview with Kevin. If you haven't heard it, it's on our podcast for this particular film. You can go to, you know, just subscribe and look for it anywhere you get your podcasts. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to see how many times we're going to say uh, I want to throw it to our interview with those people because yeah. we got a lot of amazing filmmakers do that. who are going to be yeah. featured on this list. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, name your number 10 movie of the year. Well, here's a situation where we won't be saying let's throw it to our interview with the oh, person no. who made this film. Uh, my number 10 is The Fablemans, there which I'm go. assuming is probably on other people's lists as well. So we will hold it and discuss it a little bit later on in the show. Um, but I am very intrigued that it's snuck in at number 10. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to a little more analysis of that as we get closer to it. Um, my number 10 is very similar to Kevin's in this instance. Uh, in that it was a personal pick for a movie that I just really enjoyed watching over and over again, which was Adam Sandler's film Hustle. Yes. Oh, wow. Great yeah, choice. Really? What a great, that's a great pick. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, nothing special about it, like nothing out of the ordinary about it, but it's the yeah. type of movie <laughs> that, that's, that's just, how you lead off a top 10. Yeah, film. you know, nothing special. What I mean is I like, it mean. just does the things no, that you. it is supposed to do really, really well. Um, and I think Sandler it's not that this is a straight up drama, but it's not his Hubie Halloweens, essentially, as much as I love a good Hubie. Uh, in between Hubie and uncut in. gems. Yeah, exactly. Right. It doesn't have to go full safety, you know, right. but it also doesn't have to have Rob Schneider in it. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that I still don't like about this movie is Ben Foster's character. Like he is such a mustache twirling uh, evil GM. But um the guy that they found to play uh, the the up and comer uh, Hernan Gomez is just so charismatic. 
Um, and then Anthony Edwards playing the the villain basketball player yeah. who trash talks him all the time is terrific. The way they shot the basketball scenes is fantastic. Um, I the, you know there have been a number of really good basketball scenes, uh, basketball movies, and this one automatically jumps near the top for me just for the way that it portrays someone getting recruited, going through the process of of having to make it in the NBA and get recognized by the scouts. Um. And there's an emotional component to both Adam Sandler's story and Hernan Gomez's story uh, that was completely unexpected for me, but I was totally invested in each of them. Uh, and I just mm. thought it was a really solid uh, movie that I kept, I find myself kept going back to time and time again. And this is one of those aspects in that um, because it was on Netflix and I know that like, you know, streaming isn't the greatest way to see a movie and I never got to see this movie on the big screen. But it'd be really easy for me just to, when I'm scanning through Netflix, be like, oh, Hustle, I'll throw that back on. And it was yeah. a great rewatch movie. And so um, I was surprised when I was putting my list together. I decided I was going to drop it at number 10. So Hustle, check it out on Netflix if you have not had a chance to see it yet. Yeah. Also, also, yes. Jeremiah oh. Zagger, director Jeremiah Zagger, joined us for Hustle. And he was fantastic. He was a, yeah, he was a really fun interview. He was very really passionate fun. about that film. And, you talk and, about and the, the basketball scenes a lot and the shooting of that, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like... The, it was really cool how they were able to like, I, I agree. That's a really good pick. And it's not on my list. I'm assuming it's not on Jake's either, but like, mm-hmm. I, it, that was one of those films that kind of snuck up on me. Like it was a big surprise. That's a really good pick. And I think, um, I just remember Anthony Edward. I, I love that movie. It's a really, really well-made movie. It's well shot and everything. Like they really kind of made those basketball sequences very immersive the way the camera worked in that for sure. And I just love Sandler. I yeah, mean, like he's great. Sandler in it. doesn't get enough credit for a lot yeah. of the performances he does. So, all right, number nine, Kev. Where are you going with number nine? I'm with number no, my number nine again, kind of more of a personal pick as well. But again, that's what this whole list is about, right? It's our favorites. Um, but I remember getting out of this film and going, "Man, I felt like the kid again who watched the first the one key. in theaters." Yeah, the kid. Um, <laughs> but I, I went with the sc- scream film this year because oh, I, I, nice. I, I, I just felt like the filmmakers who also joined our podcast for a great interview. We did a spoiler deep dive with them. Um, they found a way to honor Wes Craven in, in, in a really beautiful way. They, they were able to make an homage to Craven, keep the legacy characters intact in important ways, but also make their own film. Um, I didn't know who the killer was going to be at the end. They did a lot of great jobs of misdirect. Um, it is a brutal film, definitely the most, I would say the most violent of the, of the, of the other scream films. And it's interesting because that was kind of my first really, big moment of learning about how much I love Jenna Ortega as an actor, um, mm-hmm. because that opening scene was so majorly ma- uh, just perfect. I mean, like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, you, you, you're never going to top the Janet Lee style, Drew Barrymore sequence, you know, uh, you know, killing someone off that soon, that major star power, um, which is, you know, an interesting thing because that's it's just an iconic scene that you can't touch. But and you know, what's not even by them just attempting it. I was like, yeah. oh, you guys are crazy, but it worked. Right. And it worked yeah. because they were one of the things that I love about that scene in particular. Jenna just crushes that scene yeah. performance wise, but also that scene is involving a lot of misdirect, but also they really utilize technology differently in a new way here. Like, you know, the idea of Drew Barrymore scene being in the 90s and this scene being in 2022. What can you add in that make that scene scarier? Cell phones, mm-hmm. texting, uh, alarm system, whatever it would be. Uh, not that there weren't alarm systems back then, but it's just one of those things. So that I love the film. I, th- I thought it was made by people who loved the material and it didn't feel like a cash grab. It actually felt like a genuinely 
great Scream films. My favorite since the first, um, even though I do love two and I love the ending of two. It's my favorite since the first one. So uh, I, I thought it was a wonderful film and I'm very excited about the new Scream. Yes, very excited to yes. see him, them in New York. Ghostface yes. takes Manhattan. Yeah, man. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm Which means they'll be that. on a boat for 45 minutes and then in I New love, York for 10 minutes. I love Dude. Jason Takes Manhattan, man. Okay, that do be, you or do you be, just love that one scene? Because no, I, I love think, that movie. He's barely in New York. He's on. It should be Jason's on a boat. You know, what would be Manhattan. It would be amazing if Scream kept true to the format and they and stayed on a boat. Or like that when it shows them like the trailers, them on a subway, they're actually taking it like the, the train, like from Jersey into Manhattan. And the majority of the movie is them on the train. And that'd be fantastic. Number nine, Jake. Uh, my number nine, and I'm curious to nine. see if... Oh, we are discussing. We're discussing your number oh, nine. Oh, wow. Okay, well, then I am the only one who put Elvis on my top ten list. Oh, um, very true. I absolutely love... I mean, uh, the energy that I had walking out of that, I loved the frenetic energy of uh, of, of Baz Luhrmann's uh, direction and the editing. And, you know, like I, I didn't grow up an Elvis fan like to me he was someone who was kind of there in pop culture I was sort of aware of his songs like I knew them utilized in different areas different facets different films of pop culture but this was the first time where I ever like genuinely paused and saw him as a three-dimensional man saw him as a man who endured highs and lows and ups and downs and trials and tribulations and and Austin Butler gives I think far and away one of the best performances of the year. And I know we've had a lot of debate on who's going to win best actor, but we're in a fortunate enough position where there are a handful of guys while I'm maybe cheering for one over the other. There are a handful of guys that if they walked away with a best actor Oscar, I wouldn't be mad about. And Austin Butler is one of them. Like if they call Austin Butler's name on Oscar night, I'm not going to be mad about that. I loved I'm, I'm in the minority on this. I loved Tom Hanks's mustache twirling, cigar chewing, very Baz Luhrmann kind of villain. I loved how he did it. I loved the framework in which we see this story, that we see it through his perspective as he is dying on his deathbed. Um, I just thought it was a brilliant, brilliant movie. A huge, huge, and I'll say this multiple times because it's a, it's a factor for a lot of films on my list. A huge X factor for me in choosing films on my list is uh, replayability. How, you know, it's, it's sure it's great one time in theaters, but what's it like when I pop it on on HBO Max? What's it like when my parents are visiting and they want to watch the screener and I play it for them? Does it still play well? And for me, I've watched Elvis a couple of times and it still leaves me with just such a frenetic energy that I just could not deny my love for this movie. Also, Baz Luhrmann on the show. Yeah, also, listen to our and, Baz Luhrmann interview. Yeah, and, and Tom Hanks as well too. And, uh, oh, that's right. We had Tom. Oh Hanks. my God! Did I oh, just yeah, forget Jake. Tom? Oh yeah, Jake. Yeah, you know. Also, we had Tom, Tom Hanks and Baz Luhrmann separately yeah. for Elvis. Definitely. Listen so to ironically, that. not Elvis. Yes, yeah. not yet. Anyway, we're yet. trying to get. And, and I agree with you. I I wouldn't mind Austin getting uh, the win on Oscar night. I just feel like he's incredible. Because he's young, you know. Th- and I hate the, that this yeah. plays into it. You know, people sort of dismiss him and say like oh he'll get another shot at some point yeah. down the road and that might be true and it might even be next year with dune part two because sure. his part is pretty significant yeah is that right? it's a big part oh it's, it's the it sting really? part is it really the yeah. sting yeah. part oh that's great another um, musician he's playing another musician he's playing sting yeah. playing yeah. the part yes oh that's that's, yes. that's a choice yeah, uh, yeah. all right number nine uh number eight no nine nine nine, nine? for you thank you is uh in your bardo uh did you get a chance Ooh, to try it, it? Made it. did you I try didn't. it you didn't, didn't try it? Uh, and listen, it's a long I sit. I, 
I understand people who who give it a shot um, if they don't make it all the way through it because it is to me pretentious in the best way possible. Um, it is the work of a true artist. I just can't shake the movie after watching it. Um, it's it, it's one of these autobiographical approaches to um, to film the way that uh, Quran did with Roma. And the way that um, Spielberg does with the Fablemans, it essentially approaches a lot of the things that Inurito has had to go through as a filmmaker who is from Mexico, who left to have a life in Los Angeles. And the um, the guilt that comes with that, the guilt he feels for, quote unquote, abandoning his homeland. Uh, and I'm assuming because the main character is a documentary filmmaker, who I'm assuming is a stand in for Inurito. Um, who is essentially, whenever he goes back home, bombarded by the people who still live there, uh, calling him a sellout behind his back, but uh, sort of championing him when he's around and the phoniness that sort of surrounds the film community. And he dives into a lot of stuff with his family about how they feel, his kids feel being torn between Mexico and America. Um, but just the artistry that's on display in this movie is mind blowing um, from from the opening shot. Like it, the opening shot is going to just hook you and there's an explanation as to what the opening shot is that i don't even want to give away because what i want to say to you as you're trying to do bardo because it is near three hours if not even three hours in the dot this is the year of three hour movies for some reason i don't know why all the like filmmakers are just cut loose and able to do what they wanted to do um there are moments throughout bardo where i was like what is this movie doing like i don't like where are we going how come we're in this this uh lane i don't quite get it i followed it but i didn't really understand where it was going and then when it comes around to the end uh, and you realize what he was doing with the complete picture, uh, it ties back into the main to the opening shot. And it was masterful. I mean, I'm not breaking news when I tell you that Inuritu is an incredible filmmaker. Uh, this was an incredible, incredible film that I had to find some place for on my list. So I stuck it at number nine. You two both need to check it out. You got to give it a shot. It's I mean, I want to see it. I mean, he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I mean. Morris Peros and then, you know, everything going forward. Grams. Birdman, um, 21 Grams. Revenant. He, I mean, he's yeah. absolutely amazing. Dude. So wait, so the D, it's interesting. He usually works with Chivo, right? Like he Chivo shot Birdman and Revenant. So he worked with uh, Darius Kanji on this one. I think it's Ridley Scott's guy. I wonder why. Um, that's interesting. Was yeah. Chivo working um, on something else? I wonder I don't if he know. was busy. It's interesting. Um, or previously detained all right um, well darius yeah. kanji also shot at armageddon time wait am i wrong on him being ridley scott's guy i think i might be wrong on that oh. he actually shot uncut gems never mind he's not ridley scott's guy okay sorry about that no no problem uh you are at number eight kev yes uh my number eight is also another uh personal favorite which is are we discussing this one or does anybody else have this on their top 10 we are discussing it oh wow all right uh -huh. the the adam project um, um all right oh i would have thought sean would have so had it close. on his list yes very close came very close I, I actually went hustle instead of adam project but it was yeah. it was in contention no i love this film um and again it's a, a film that i don't find to be perfect uh I, you know i think that this is a film that just kind of hit me in the feels from a nostalgic perspective i think sean levy is obviously a, a great storyteller and filmmaker he was on our show for this for this particular film also for free guys if you want to check that out check it out um, but there's like two scenes in this film that have stuck with me all year, specifically a sequence of Jennifer Garner and Ryan Reynolds in the bar, um, so which I won't go into specific details, but that's you know, one just, of the best scenes this year. 
Yeah, imagine imagine having the opportunity to like to sit down and hear what your mom is thinking about, and you know, and like and like the the idea of what that's what you're what you were doing at that age that was making her not feel good, um, and the the idea of like you know, imagine like having that that peer like windowing into that aspect of someone's life and like knowing that information, or um, even better, an older version of yourself being able to say to your mom. Hey, this is why I'm doing that. Right. <laughs> right. Imagine Which that. You can't yeah. do as a kid. You can't explain why you're acting the way you're acting. Right. And for people who don't know, Ryan Reynolds, character essentially, you know, travels back in time, essentially to his younger self. And mm-hmm. he's he's his older self interacting with his younger self. Walker Scobell plays the younger version. He's fantastic. That uh, kid's great. Great Ryan Reynolds uh, uh, in terms in terms of like playing the younger Ryan Reynolds. They have great scenes together. Great chemistry. Um, and then Mark Ruffalo, who plays his father, there's a scene at the end of the film with Ryan and Mark that is just devastating, but also life affirming in a beautiful way. I mean, that film kind of really encompassed a lot of those things. And I, w- I don't want to butcher the gentleman's last name, but Rob Simonson or Rob, Rob Simonson or Simonson, whatever you want to pronounce his name. Simonson. He, did the, Simonson. he did the music for the film and he uh, he also did the score for The Whale. Uh, incredible uh, composer, but the music for the Adam project is incredible. Um, but I just thought Ryan, you know, this is a film that I could tell meant a lot to Ryan Reynolds. And there was a lot of passion that went into this. And I know Ryan lost his father years ago. So I would imagine that this was a, there was a certain catharsis to being able to play this out. Um, and the idea of kind of going back and understanding that. And obviously it's a, it's a fictional story, but you know, some of the best things about acting is being able to cathartically work through things in your life that maybe you weren't able to in your real life, but through the performance of something, you might be able to unlock it or, or give yourself a little bit of a, a better explanation for certain things. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, projecting that Ryan did that, but I would, that that's kind of what I gathered from it. It felt like super passionate from his perspective. And uh, yeah, they picked a perfect kid, Walker Scobell to play his younger self. So I, I love that film. It was really beautiful. Again, not perfect. There's some things in it that I think could have been uh, ironed out or edited out, but it's still just a film that really resonated with me emotionally this year. Should have ended with uh, Adam song over the end credits. Would have been great. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, you know, that's a really good blink 182 <laughs> joke right there. I like that a lot. Thank you, Kev. Uh, Jake, number eight. My number eight is a film um, I am assuming I'm going to be able to discuss because I don't think anyone else has it on their list. Uh, My number eight is Nope. (laughs) All right. We will hold that uh, and circle back around to Nope when it gets a little bit higher on. I never get to talk about my movies. Oh, you (laughs) you know, you're actually not going to be able for a little while. Uh, All right. Number eight for me was number 10 for Jake. It is the Fablemans. We're going to hold because it's going to be even higher on Kevin's list, apparently, uh, as it should be. And we're going to get the number seven for Kevin McCarthy. All right. My wow. We're already back to me. All right. My number seven. <laughs> uh, are we discussing this one or is this higher no. on people's list? Higher on people's lists. OK, my number seven is uh, James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water. Ooh. I'm sorry. Did you get that title? Is that is that a small independent? Did you get that title right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, and by the way, I, the reason I mixed up earlier with Darius Kanji, Darius Walski is Ridley Scott's guy and Darius How Kanji is the one who shot Bardo. How so I was, dare yeah, you I mix apologize. up? Come on. On this show, you, 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 yeah, that. come on. Come on. <laughs> what a hack. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Jake, you're number seven. My number seven is uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. I'm actually the I actually whale. don't know if it's on anyone else's list. I am keeping Kevin's track maybe? of this. 
Uh, you are holding it. The yeah, whale will be higher on someone else's <laughs> Must be list. nice to be able to talk about the films that you love. I wouldn't well, know. Hey, we're going to talk about a film that I loved next. Uh, and this was a late addition to the charts, my friends. Uh, this is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Wow. Mother of God is this movie just an open heart. <laughs> you watched it this today, didn't you? Today. Wow. Today. Well, no, to be fair, what had happened was I watched half of Mar- Marcel um, on a plane and I was enamored with it and never got a chance to finish it. And we got a disc. I knew I was going to finish it before we got to our top tens. And then today I was like, oh, my God, we're recording our top tens today. <laughs> today. So I threw it on. I started from the beginning and I ran it back. And it is just so adorable. It's it's Jenny Slate wrote the story for it. She voices Marcel. It's essentially a filmmaker um, who's making a documentary about this shell uh, who is alive and has one eye uh, and and talks and wears shoes. And it's the interplay between Marcel and the filmmaker. And how come Marcel like doesn't understand why the filmmaker doesn't reveal more stuff about himself and what exactly is a documentary. And Marcel has only one member of his family left. And it's Nana Connie, who's this older shell who's a little bit forgetful um, and isn't a hundred percent sure what's going on in her life. And Marcel eventually wants to find his community because he had a whole bunch of shells that lived in the same pot that he lived in. And then one day the couple that he lived with got into a fight and they separated and the lady took the potted plant. So Marcel lost his entire family. But it's a mix of live action and stop motion animation. Um, it's a commentary on social media because little by little, the documentary filmmaker is uploading clips of Marcel to social media and he's exploding. He's becoming a viral TikTok star, even though he doesn't quite understand what the Internet is. At one point, he wants to go out with the director and try to find where his family might be. And they put Mar- Marcel on the dashboard of his car and he drives to the edge of the street and they look out over Los Angeles and Marcel says, so is that all that's that's to out there? And he goes to what? And he goes to everything. And the guy goes, no, this is a very small part of a very, of a tiny uh, neighborhood in a, in a city. And there's lots of other cities and all these other places. And he's just so overwhelmed by how small he feels in the world. Um, there's a lot of other really touching elements that are involved in it. I was, like I said, blown away by the stop motion animation. Story is incredible. Really, really beautiful. Very, very touching ending. And uh, and Jenny Slate. I kid you not, should be in some sort of awards conversation for her vocal performance. And I never understand why vocal performance doesn't get considered because I think it's a performance just as much as anything else. I think Tom Hanks should have multiple Oscars for playing Woody. Uh, and if this was the case, then Jenny Slate should get a uh, Best Actress nomination for the way that she does Marcel. I have a quick question. And again, I have not seen it, but as based on what I've seen so far, I can honestly say I don't get it. How does this fit into Best Animated Feature exactly? Just because it features <laughs> this- some stop motion? There's more stop motion than you would think. Uh, okay. It is it enough is a, to justify putting it in the animated feature category. It's close. To if you were fun. OK, let me let me ask you something it's close. If to it beats fun. if it beats Pinocchio at, at for the Oscar for best animated feature, would that annoy you? It wouldn't annoy me because I love Marcel, mm-hmm. but it would it, it would kind of like that's a little bit cheating. Do you <laughs> think it would cheating. annoy Guillermo del Toro? Yeah, I think so. OK. Yeah. Sean, was there a scene where the two shells met the two rocks from everything everywhere all at once? No, because no one knows where the rocks are, Kev. Well, maybe, maybe the shells do. Them. Hey, maybe, they do. maybe that's the sequel. I'd watch <laughs> that. All right, Kev, you're number six. 
My number six, are we discussing or are we continuing? Tell me what it is first. You got to tell me what it is first, and then I'll tell you what we're doing. Uh, number six is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. It's finally time. Well, to you're, talk the, about you're the, the last person. <laughs> yes. Finally time for us to talk about The Fablemans. All right. Do I, do I, do I start on this? You yeah, certainly take do. Take it's your number six. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, ugh, I could go on forever. I mean, Kaminsky's. <laughs> cinematography and this is just some of the best he's ever done um but performance wise you know for a film that is about or loosely based on or based on steven spielberg's childhood um it does give you a window and an insight into a lot of what you know the drama and the elements of characters that you saw in spielberg's earlier work i mean obviously james lipton pointed out that beautiful connection to close encounters and we've seen these aspects throughout Spielberg's careers with families uh, in movies and kind of like, but then you realize that he was really kind of working through his own issues, but un, kind of almost unknowingly. Um, and then with Fablemans, he's really kind of taking it head on. Um, and I think the kid who plays him, uh, Gabriel LaBelle um, is absolutely incredible. Like he, he looks just like him as the film goes on. Um, Didn't we the, lean over to each other at the, at the AFI screening and go like, holy crap, yeah. he looks like him. He look it looks incredible. Um, and I, I, I also just, you know, from, a, from somebody who just loves celluloid and film so much just to see the operation of the eight millimeter and the 16 millimeter cameras and, um, there's a moment I've told you guys about where I thought it was just so beautiful because the whole movie, you realize that the character, Sammy Fableman, is really trying to understand his life through movies. Right. So if his parents are going through a divorce, he finds a way to film it in his mind or think about it through the way, the scope of a movie. Like, for example, in the earlier in the film, he crashes a train and he films it because the, and the mother says you're trying to control it. Right. And so later on in the film, there's a moment where the parents are getting a divorce. Uh, they're mentioning to the kids that they're going to get a divorce. And we're in 35 millimeter. And as the scene is happening, we switch to 16, which the grain shifts. There's more grain that happens on the screen because we have now gone into Sammy's mind about how he is narratively understanding this moment. And then you see Sammy filming it in the mirror and with the, with the camera. So I, I just, um, I was just blown away by the, just the way this film worked and, and obviously the ending and the bullying things that came about, uh, the arc of that character. Uh, David Lynch is so great as John, uh, as, um, John, my Ford. John Ford, John, John, John Ford. Ford. Uh, that yeah. moment is absolutely incredible. And I want to tell people, if you haven't seen the video where Spielberg is, is explaining this story, I think he's telling John Favreau about it. Yeah, um, and then, and then watch the real the scene in the movie. It's literally moment for moment. And mm -hmm. I do think it has arguably one of the greatest shots of Spielberg's career, which is the final shot of the film. So I, would agree um, I absolutely love that movie. And it was just a really it was, it was just a beautiful tribute to a filmmaker that we, we've spent a lot of time with. And John Williams' so, score is incredible. So I had it at eight. And the reason why it slid down my list, because initially it was much higher, is because on a rewatch. Um, I found myself really connecting with the filmmaking elements, like all the parts about Sammy and learning his art of film. And I found myself less interested in the family bits. Um, I was riveted in them as they were happening. I wasn't as, and I, I think that it's, it, it, it does sort of branch off into other territories as it goes. Right. And I can't fault the movie for like Spielberg wants to explore these territories. He has all the right in the world to explore these territories, you know, but it's almost a, it's it's a little too much for one movie. Um, and but I was never like not engaged with what was happening. 
but I, if he had just kept it to the, to the filmmaking aspect of it, I probably would consider it a, a perfect movie, but I love it. Even though it's, it has those flaws. It just, I felt the hanging around and the family divorce aspect. It, it weighed on me a little bit more uh, the second time of like, all right, let's get back to some of the filmmaking stuff. Cause I like those elements a lot better. And he does return back to them. Like when he's able to go shoot the beach day, you know, uh, for his high school or cut together um, that the stuff of Michelle Williams dancing, because that was the last time that she uh, felt happy after her mother passes away. Um, those elements are really beautiful. Um, and then of course it ends on the John Ford thing, which is just fantastic. Like I could watch that scene over and over again. That's an all timer from Spielberg. But that's the only reason why it slipped down to eight. It's a great movie. Um, and it's, I mean, he's a master of his craft. If you're talking about it from a filmmaking perspective, it's, it's brilliant. I just felt he wandered through his narrative a tad, but again, he has every right to do that in a movie that is this personal to him. So Jake, you bought it at 10, which means it just yeah. made it. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys had asked why, why it was at the number 10 spot. And, and again, it brings up the factor of rewatchability in that, like, I love the film. I also don't see myself putting it on and watching it a lot in the future. But that being said, I still absolutely love the film. I mean, you know, Spielberg's my favorite director and this movie really gives you a whole new perspective of so many of his films. I mean, obviously there are the, there are the easy ones to point out like close encounters and ET, but you know, I even put on, you know, crystal skull was on the other day and there's a throwaway line where they talk about how, um, Indy introduced Marion to, uh, her first husband because it was a friend of his, which like, I kind of paused and went like, Oh, hmm. that's interesting. That's interesting. Like, I wondered if that's like a little nod to what happened to his parents. So even like yeah. something as crazy as, as Crystal Skull, it makes you sort of listen to it and see it differently. And that's pretty incredible that one film can make you look at an entire film, filmography differently. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about like the final John Ford moment, which is one of my top 10 probably favorite scenes this year. But for me, the scene that really gets me is the one with him uh, and the bully in the hallway where mm -hmm. Spielberg really starts to understand the power of, of film and specifically his power and the impact that it has on other people. And I, to me, that's the scene that really drives home. I do agree with you, Sean. I wouldn't mind maybe a little less of the family element and like to the point where, and again, I get that this is the idea of the ending and this is what it's supposed to leave you. But like whenever the movie ended, there was a part of me that's like, oh, this is, this is what I want to see. I want to see mm -hmm. you like walking around the studio and stuff. Again, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm knocking little tidbits of like a film that, that is on my top 10 list, but that's why I hate to say like it barely made it, but it's, it's squarely in my top 10. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, but you know, that's, that's why it's not higher. Also shout out to Judd Hirsch. Cause that scene yeah. about art and family is just devastatingly true probably earn him a, a sporting nomination brilliant performance yeah that scene alone uh jake number six my number six is probably not going to be discussed right now my number six is babylon you need to sit on babylon for a little yeah. while at six um all i right. just want to talk about some of my movies you will soon stop putting the great ones so low for god's sakes uh <laughs> All right. My number six, before we uh, conclude this shift of the of the film uh, of the conversation and then get into our top fives, which is going to be pretty major, is a movie that I'm a little bit surprised that we are discussing um, at number six is the goddamn Batman. What's wrong with you guys? Batman is at number six and it's Matt Reeves is. Uh, I, I had a hard time not putting it on my top 10. If I'm being it's crazy. It, it, I'm sorry. You talk about rewatchability. I, I was just about to say, I have a feeling that's the movie that. In a year, I'm going to look back and go, I can't believe I didn't put that on my top 10. Dude, it's great. 
Um, and what I love about it is that Batman is such a tired character and franchise. He's been done to death. And the fact that Matt Reeves made him feel fresh and original in any way, shape or form is a is a, a minor miracle. Um, I love the atmosphere, obviously, that it creates in Gotham. I love the idea to start with a year two Batman who's already kind of moving along. I think Paul Dano is outstanding as the Riddler. I think Colin Farrell is unrecognizable uh, as the Penguin. I love uh, Zoe Kravitz's take on Catwoman. I love Pattinson in the role. Uh, the car chase is just one of those sequences. Kev, when you uh, pick a movie out to show off your home theater system, like add the car chase to the list because it's Good just scene. one of those sequences that Great scene. you have to hear. You have to hear it yeah. in order to fully experience it. And yeah. uh and I, I cannot wait for Matt Reeves to make three more of these films, you know, three or four more of these films. And it's pretty fascinating to me that as DC falls apart uh, uh, and James Gunn decides he's going to rebuild, that he's already officially said, like, well, one corner of the DC is fine. Like Matt Reeves is going to keep doing what he's doing and leave him alone. And then I'm going to fix the rest sort of thing, because there's nothing fixed there. Like Batman's just an, an incredible film. And I bumped it all the way up to number six. So, Gabe, we're inching into the top five. Uh, what do we want to do? Take a break. Throw it to an ad? Why don't we throw it to an ad? All right, we'll throw it to an ad and come back on the other side with our top five movies of 2022. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
And we are back. All right, here we go. The top five movies of 2022, as determined by the individual hosts of the Real Blend podcast, followed by our collective uh, top five. And I'm throwing it to Kevin, who is going to tell me what his number five movie of 2022 is. Number five movie of 2022 is Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. You are going to hold your thoughts on that film, my friend. Sounds good. As as Maverick is going to be a little bit higher on a few other lists. Sounds uh, good. Jake Hamilton, your f- number five movie of 2022 is. My number five movie is a movie that I have been talking about all year long, and I'm still excited that it's, I think, reasonably high on my list. Uh, it's X. It is not just my favorite horror film of the year, but it is one of my favorite movies of the year. I mean, it's it's both a throwback and a love letter to old, gritty, nasty sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre B movies that I grew up loving. Uh, But then also sort of this new spin and take on those types of sort of, you know, the the texas hillbilly kind of uh horror and that it actually really does have something to say and that you know these these horror movies so much of them are you know the the old people are the people that, that were were meant to fear in a lot of ways or they're, they're they're the prognosticators of the the horror that is to come and one of the interesting elements that that x points out is that like listen Eventually, we all become the old people that live in the house and we all become the prognosticators of the terror that's to come, because as Pearl taught us, we've seen a lot of the terror that is to come. And it's one of the few horror movies that really looks at it from that angle, from the inside out. It has some absolutely spectacular kills, a truly great ensemble cast jenna ortega as we learned in both scream and x and wednesday just absolutely crushed uh that genre this year i think she is the, one of the this year's mvps mia goth um, I, had a year too mia goth absolutely fantastic I, I was not a massive pearl fan but there is a monologue she has that i think should be putting her in more of a best actress consideration even though i didn't particularly love that film uh but i just absolutely love everything about x and i can't and kevin i hope you take this as a compliment i can't think about that opening shot without thinking of kevin mccarthy which is the <laughs> shot through the barn doors where it's in four by three and when he pushes right. through the barn doors it expands to i'm assuming like a 16 by 9 oh, I'm, I'm sorry i don't know the exact what it expands to but it's clearly such a love letter to those old school great 70s horror films that i love so much texas chainsaw being one of my favorites so I, smart I, proudly i put x on my top 10 Hi, Wes. Nice. Another guest of the show and who discussed. I didn't even ask. It. I, I didn't even ask if I'm supposed to discuss it, but I just assume you guys didn't have it on your list. You're correct. Uh, my number one. It's kind, of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny that you just blew right through that. I'm so funny. I just realized halfway through. I was like, I'm going to feel like shit. It'd be <laughs> funny if it was number 10. Yeah. Oh, X is V. And we all. All right. Let's all collectively agree to put Fast X at number 10 next year. Right. Family. No matter what. Okay, we don't do the Razzies, Sean. My number five. Oh, you know what? Is See, that, that that is a, uh, don't even get me started. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. Kev, I knew what button I was pushing. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. Have you have you guys seen that meme of the dude sweating and it's like two buttons and one of them's like make a fast X joke and leave like leave Kevin alone? Like that would be like the two. That would be the meme that would be represented. I'm all in, man. I can't wait. 
Um, I'm picking a movie at number five that I saw at South by Southwest that blew me away. And I uh, hadn't haven't stopped thinking about it since it's Carrie Williams's film Emergency, mm. uh, which oh, yeah. takes on a college campus. And it stars um, Donald Elise Watkins and RJ Seiler as two black friends who stumble upon or they come back home to their uh, uh, condo or apartment on campus apartment one night to find a very drunk white girl in their living room and have to quickly determine what they can do moving forward um, in what is a very sad reality uh, in that they just can't simply call for help because they think um, and probably rightfully assume that they are going to be held accountable for something that they didn't do. And uh, Donald Lee Watkins character Kunli um, is has an extremely bright future ahead of him. RJ's character, Sean, is more of a goof off, more of a stoner um, and is actually very protective of Kunli and saying, like, this is why we can't do this. This is why we can't just do the right thing. Um, And then it becomes like over the course of the evening, how these two guys are going to try to get this young girl back to because she's clearly clearly underage. How are they going to get her back to the people who she's with? Um, It's incredibly smart commentary all the way through it. It it looked like it was going to be a party movie, like a college party movie. And in fact, I hate giving away a little bit of what the hook is. But if you don't know at this point now, I'm sorry. Uh, But when you set it up, it's very stylishly shot like these guys, these two best friends were planning an uh, all all time, you know, party hopping. They were going to go from fraternity house to fraternity house and the way that Carrie Williams sort of shoots those to show you the different fraternity parties they were going to be going to makes it seem like, oh, we're in American pie territory or this is going to be like neighbors or something like that. And it takes that hard left turn of just like, oh, shit, Uh, these guys are really in a spot where I don't know how they're going to get out of Uh, their two performances are outstanding. Uh, it, like I said, really, really smart film, and I wish more people got a chance to see it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a great, great film. Shot. Love, you got a chance to check movie. it out? Yeah, I did. And you know, the fun thing is, I actually got to—I actually put it on because of your recommendation from earlier this year. And it was when my mom was visiting for Thanksgiving, and she had no idea. You know, whenever my mom comes to visit or whatever, my parents, I always just say, "Okay, we're gonna watch this. Sit down and watch it." And and so I kind of get to watch their experience watching things blindly. Yeah, and watching her. And again, I hadn't I hadn't seen Emergency, so but I kind of knew what it was about and I knew sort of what was coming, at least the gist of it. Yeah. Watch her slowly kind of realize what was happening mm. was incredible. And it was such a cool way to sort of realize. And she was screaming out loud and yelling. And I think she was cursing you at one point because I told her that you were the person <laughs> that recommended it. So yeah, she yeah. may have sent some curse words your way. But um, oh, my God, it's a, it's a truly phenomenal film. It's really mm. great. I hope more people. Check it out due to our recommendations. Uh, Kev, you are at number four on your list of 2022. I wonder if we're discussing this one. Mine is my number four is the Banshees of Inishirin. That you also your number four. You are holding that, sir. Oh, wait, it's Jake's number four also. All right. Well, then we're going to discuss it between the two of you guys. There you go. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this film. I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of the year, but also my favorite film Martin has done since Definitely in Bruges. I mean, in Bruges was was really uh, McDonough's like like the film that really kind of got me into him as a filmmaker. I didn't love Seven Psychopaths. I really liked Three Billboards. Um, but this the simplicity of this movie, yet the depth of it is just insane to me. It's such a simple story, but the depth and character aspects that Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell and is it Carrie Condon 
um, yeah. bring to the role. I mean, and Barry Keegan. I mean, there's so many amazing performances in this film. But the idea of a film, if you tell somebody the basic premise is just two best friends and one guy decides he doesn't want to be friends with the other guy ever again. I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but it's so weighted in the years of friendship, the questions, the entire film leading up to any explanation. You're just on the edge of your seat wondering why Brendan Gleeson won't talk to Colin Farrell's character. Um, and once it's revealed why he won't speak to him, the the urgency of Colin's character trying to talk to him and then the threat that Brendan Gleeson character uh, gives him which he does follow through with in a really brutally disturbing way um, was really just fascinating to me. And Colin Farrell's sister, Carrie Condon's character, um, I think is one of the best performances of the year as well. She was wonderful in this movie. And there's she's a scene a serious her, contender for supporting actress. I think she's amazing. There's a scene with her and Barry Keegan out by the water. Mm. If I'm mistaken mm -hmm. that where he essentially kind of like, tries to ask her out and it's like this really like i don't know it's like a it's like a devastating sequence for the character um and i i yeah i don't know what it was I, I sat down i didn't know much about it i didn't watch the trailer for it i don't remember seeing the trailer for it maybe i did but i just forgotten about it but you know i didn't have really any expectations other than i heard it was great and i just found it to be so incredibly life-affirming but also just devastating at the same time didn't you uh, and I see it on the same day? We may have, yeah. It's we, on the same. It's in the same spot on our top yeah. ten. And That's kind of fun. Yeah, because Jake and I went and saw it after it had come out, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know. I, I it, it was just a film that struck me really, really heavily uh, emotionally, and I thought that I think Colin Farrell might deliver the best performance of his career in this film. Oh, I really oh, do by I, far. I, by I, far, I, I think, he's another one that if he won best yeah. actor, I'd be totally fine with it. And there's this there's this constant bit throughout the film where they're where they're um you know in in the accent they instead of saying the f word it's like sounds like it sounds like feck. feck there's an arc that happens with that specific word that is delivered later on in the film that i think might be the greatest line delivery of the year um and it's so again so simple but so effective and so monumentally uh impactful um i just remember that movie ending going damn that was absolutely incredible i was shot didn't martin build that like pub that they end like, i read i read the story that she he did an amazing Q, uh, interview with taylor swift recently where i think he talked about they actually physically built that pub but they had to tear it down i wish they could have kept it up for like Damn. like a touristy hmm. thing um but uh yeah that movie is is absolutely fantastic i loved it the banshees of inishirin see it please is it on hbo it's max on HBO now? max now yeah Please watch this movie. It is and try to try not to let the simplicity of the plot make you go. I don't know if I want to sit through that. It's really beautiful. Well, I'm going to pick it up there because for you, yeah, because yeah. it's, it's my number four film as well. And you're right. Like on on the surface, it sounds like a very simple plot. Like it just sounds mm -hmm. like one friend doesn't want to be friends with another and makes this really dark thread. If you don't leave me alone, I'm going to do this thing. But what's crazy is that it's a that story that film that script that plot is about so much it's oh, yeah. about starting to question your mortality on this earth and what people think of you after you leave it's it's starting to question your place on this earth and what people think of you right now they colin farrell has this incredible moment where he starts questioning wait am i the village idiot am i the person everyone makes fun of behind their back and you know the more i think about this movie and actually i think really has a lot to say about 
uh, ghosting culture, you know, like in, mm-hmm. in, in the dating world, this idea of just straight up being like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And I don't feel like you're worthy of an explanation and I'm just going to disappear. There are yeah. so many different, I mean, and who would have thought that like a story set in 1920s Ireland could be a testament to like a, a dating trend that has only existed within the last 10 to 15 years. Like who would have thought that like that would somehow potentially tie together. It has so much to say, I, I, I've gone to to Kevin with with my theories about like, well, what does it mean that, you know, there's a there's a song that is being written throughout uh, the, the movie and you never hear the song in its entirety. And I think there's some meaning behind that. And so we were kind of debating that. And, and I guess just what I want to emphasize is that, like, we keep talking about how simple this this shoestring concept is and yet we keep talking about what it really means and the different layers yeah. to it and, and 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 to me like that's that's brilliant to me like it, i think it is one of the most brilliant screenplays of of probably the last decade i think martin mcdonough is one of the most incredible playwrights and screenwrites if you've never had a chance to see uh any of his uh, uh stage work before if it ever comes to your town or you're ever in new york it's worth it but it's just it sounds simple yes but i promise you you won't stop thinking about it it's not and the and the parallels to war are mm. really interesting yeah like really fascinating yeah, yeah you, you just just see it it's really it's really yeah. layered uh and really beautiful yeah um a colleague of ours drew mcweeney uh used a phrase that that really connects with me i use it often where he says Sometimes you just bounce off of a movie uh, where you, you try it and everyone else loves it. But for some reason, you just can't get into it. And that's me with Banshees. I've tried to watch Banshees three different times. Mm. I, I punch out around mm. the same time where I'm just like, I, this is not for me. I can't. I can't Damn. do it. Interesting. <laughs> I know. I know. I can't. I don't I, know I, why. I, it just hit me. It surprisingly it. hit I, me. I had that Dude. experience. What we were, I was just talking about this with Sean. I had that experience with RRR. I really, really tried to like RRR. I, I yeah. so badly wanted to get into it and just it's just not my thing. I just couldn't do it. And I, 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 I am on I know I'm on the outside looking in. And to use your example, I just it, I bounced it off just of it. It just didn't, right it didn't work for it. me. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't get it. Um, yeah. All right. My number four is uh, one of one of, <laughs> one of the most enjoying to, uh, enjoyable times I had at the movies this year. Uh, it was Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion. A Knives ah. Out story. Well, you guys talk about a perfect script. I think this is a perfect script. Um, and it's one of those ones that, that's loaded with so many funny lines uh, that you can't catch them the first time through because you're so heavily paying attention to the mystery that you just need to sit back and, and enjoy the atmosphere and the ride because he built something completely different than what he did with Knives Out. Uh, and it's incredibly smart that he now has a franchise that all he has to do is bring Daniel Craig around with him and he can introduce him to a slew of new characters that are all incredible, incredibly colorful. Uh, I love the cast that he put together for this one. I think Catherine Hahn is terrific. Kate, um, Hudson, Hudson. Thank you very much. Kate Hudson is fantastic. Uh, Edward Norton is at his best when he's playing an asshole. Uh, there's just no one better at doing it. Um, and Janelle Monet belongs in the Oscar consideration. Uh, and I can't, if, if, if you haven't seen it yet, I can't explain to you necessarily why it is so important that she gets attention for this. Um, but she's a pivotal, pivotal character. Uh, and, um, you will be talking about her after you watch it. I, I love the fact that Daniel Craig is having as much fun in these, um, that we wanted him to be having in bond. It feels like bond was a job mm. for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, he is clearly having the time of his life. 
the sequence where he, again, to not reveal too much for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but when he uh, essentially gives away uh, the, the mystery that was set up for the weekend is hands down one of the funniest scenes I've seen this year. Uh, we watched this in Toronto and it was the kind of thing where the script got applause breaks. Like when certain things dropped, uh, there is a Mona Lisa, you know, payoff in this that got applause. And uh, it's just one of those films I can turn on with anybody. And I think they'll just have the time of their lives with it. So um, Glass Onion made it all the way up to number four uh, for me. And we discussed it, which means the other guys didn't like it at all. So in all seriousness, that, that is always one of my pet peeves about top 10 list is whenever you don't put something on there, someone goes, oh, did you not like? I'm like, well, yeah, the no. thing I always like to remind people of is <laughs> I like more than 10 films. I love more than 10 films. They're like you guys yeah. have, have named films that aren't on my list. I, I mean, I love the Batman Mm-hmm. Love Glass Onion. These are films that I'm I could very well in a year go. Oh, I can't believe I didn't put that on my list. So a reminder to everyone listening that there are more than 10 films that we like yeah. in a year. And Glass Onion was on both mine and Jake's honorable mention list. And we yes. had Ryan Johnson on the show for it. So please ah. find that interview. We had Ryan on for both Knives Out One and the sequel. So if you want to do a yes. little double double uh, dose we're, of Ryan Johnson. It's like we're a part of the franchise at this point. No? Yeah, we're, we're going to be there yeah. for. Yeah, and he was a great interview, so definitely check it out. Which one of us would be the killer? You. I we all think you. Too. Yeah, we've yeah. determined yeah, that. I, I, you're I too would, clean. Or am I, or I am I the obvious off. choice? Am I? Am I? What? Am I the person that like? Oh, it's clearly me. Therefore, it's not me. So you're the first no. one to die. Oh, that'd be fun. Oh, yeah, I mean, we got to we got to get that reveal yeah. through. You're yeah. our Jenna Ortega, essentially. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> I always say that about Jake. She doesn't die. <laughs> He's our Drew Barrymore. You're our Drew Barrymore. Definitely. Wait, wait. In one situation, I survive. In one situation, I don't. We really got to pick which one I am. Yeah, we'll let the listeners lives. decide. Jenna yeah. lives. I totally forgot that they, they flipped the script on that one. Kev, yeah. number three. Oh, we're into the top three choices oh. for 2022, and Kevin has selected uh, the uh, Darren Aronofsky film, The Whale. All right, it's time to talk about the whale then. Time to talk about the whale. Wait, I'm the only one. It was my number seven. Jake at seven. Oh, 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 okay. Then you go first. You go first, Jake. Well, no. Uh, Hang on, hang on. on. Yeah. You go first because it's higher on your list. That's how we do this. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Um, Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I got got to go back to the moment I saw this uh, because when the film ended, I remember feeling like I couldn't move out of my chair. Um, and that the ending of this film is so profound and so just like it, it's honestly one, simultaneously one of the most devastating yet life affirming films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the end of the day, there's, you know, a lot to be said about the amazing element of people and humanity and what we can do. And, you know, there's so much negativity in the world and so much. There are a lot of terrible things that obviously happen in this world. But at the end of the day, the the view of the character being that, you know, regardless of how terrible things get, people really are amazing. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, one of the things that Darren Aronofsky did really well with this film, outside a lot of the technical things. I mean, I grew up watching Aronofsky, so Pi and Requiem were, were, were big films for me, and they were very highly stylized feature films that were really brilliantly edited and just extremely interesting to watch from a filmmaking standpoint. And, you know, Requiem was, was a really tough film, but just beautifully, brilliantly shot and edited. Um, But I think one thing he does here is he kind of puts away style 
a bit. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. I, I, I want to clarify because style can mean a lot of things. There's a lot of things like when you see like really heavy style that you just think, oh, that's stylistic. But oh, this, this is, is still not a, a Black style Swan. choice. Right. But this is, you and, know, he can he can get fancy. Yeah. This is he, he can get right. But but the style here really is the simplicity, right? It's the four by three, the one, three, three ratio. Um, and it's boxed in. When you do watch this film, that is the way it's supposed to look. If you're you know, watching it at home or you go to a theater to see it, um, it is a square. So if you're going to have black on the left and right side of your screens, to me, that worked as a way to feel the claustrophobia of the apartment. Um, mm-hmm. This is based on a play uh, written by the uh, playwright who actually wrote the screenplay. Is it Sam Samuel D. Hunter? And do mm-hmm. I have that name right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, um, and. I think one of the things I found so brilliant about the film outside of, you know, one thing that Brendan Fraser said in my interview, which I thought was really fascinating at the beginning of the film, there's no way you don't notice obviously how, how big the character is and how unhealthy the character is, but it does, that does melt away. You start really like, I think one of the things that the film's trying to talk about is this idea that when you see somebody who is that obese, that is the thought process that might hit your mind at first. And you might not see the individual because you're so, you know, taken back by the the weight of that individual. But at the end, as you're watching the film, I, I just forgot he was X amount of pounds. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. there's moments where he's trying to get up and move around. And that, that's where you're reminded of the of of the aspect of that his life. But the humanity behind the character is so far beyond and transcends the weight that like that to me was really the, like the beauty of the film, the immersion of the film, because he's really wearing this suit. I mean, the makeup effects are absolutely incredible. Brendan's performance is just devastating. Like there mm. is, there are lines of dialogue. There's a trailer they just released for the film that has a, a line at the end of it. That is, you know, I wouldn't watch that trailer cause I, I'm glad I didn't see that scene prior to seeing the film. Mm. Um, but Sadie Sink is wonderful. Um, the character, a lot of people, you know, why is she so mean? That's how kids are. And that and, and and in this particular situation, I understand why she's pissed. I mean, he left the family. I mean, it makes sense why she's angry at her father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, and Hong Chow, um, uh, I mean, what a performance. What a performance. When you find out the reveal of her connection to him, it's just damn. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so long story short, I was just... It's a really profound film. When it ended, I couldn't talk. I was crying just for 20 minutes straight. I could not even get my words together. I just remember it was just a really beautiful experience. Um, And I I don't really get the hatred for it online. If we talk about film Twitter all the time, there's just so much negativity towards the film. And I do want to mention that I do understand people's perspectives. I get people's opinion pieces. I'm not saying you're wrong or right. Just hit me in the right way. Um, So I loved it. And I think Aronofsky really kind of shows just, I mean, he really is a performance filmmaker at the end of the day, all those stylistic elements he's done in all of his films before, but he grabs performances from actors that you have never seen before and never thought you could see. Yeah. Um, and he, it's just, it's an astounding film. <laughs> it's just an amazing film. And the, and it also made me think of Moby Dick so much differently now too. It's such mm. a fascinating commentary on that. So Jake landed at seven for you. Yeah, it was excuse me. It was at seven for me. You know, I think the the best kinds of movies are ones that uh, almost sort of make you look at your own life through a different prism, through a different perspective. You know, uh, you know, there's that that old saying that like you know you think you're having a bad day and then you hear about someone else's day and then you sort of by comparison you go okay, all right, well maybe you know. And this is this is a guy who um, has come to accept 
that his time on this earth is shrinking. Like the the clock is ticking on how much time he has left to quite literally be alive. Mm. And the reason he's gotten to that point is because so many terrible things have happened to him that have led him to, to, to be in this literally physical position. And yet in his final days, a, a man who has had just unspeakable heartbreak and tragedy thrown at him, he spends his de- final moments on this earth trying to reconcile, trying to make people happy, and with a true genuine belief that there is goodness out there. Even when the people he believes there are there is good within may not show him that. He still mm. chooses to believe it. And so I walked away, you know, Kevin, you know, we talk about what, what you walk away with. I just walked away thinking like, God, if, if this person who I think I'd like to believe hopefully represents more people out there, I, I can't honestly say he would represent me, but like can can be in this situation and have this stuff thrown at him and in his final moments on this earth think, you know what, like I still choose to believe you're good. Mm-hmm. I choose to despite I despite the fact that I've been through shit and you're treating me like shit. I choose to believe that life is good and I choose to believe that people are good. And that's how I'm going to use my final moments on this earth. To me, that's the movie I saw. I know mm-hmm. there's to Kevin's point. I know there's a lot of opinion pieces about this or that or what's represented in the film. I saw a movie about choosing to believe in good and choosing to believe in hope and choosing strength over weakness and that strength and weakness are not often physical um, outwardly qualities in people, but inward qualities in people. And that's the movie I saw when I saw the whale. And I'm getting like teary eyed real quick. I know we have to move on, but like thinking about the way the way you explained what led him to that physical state, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which they, they cover in the film. But mm-hmm. you're you're. What's brilliant about what Aronofsky does in the writing is that you're judging him before you know any of that. Like, 100%. I mean, you, you, you come into the film with your preconceived yeah. judgment. And then d- doesn't what? it also give you a moment where you sort of go like, shit, what's to stop that from happening to me? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a scene, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. There's a scene where he is just eating mm-hmm. that is so devastating and mm-hmm. so hard to watch. And the sound design in that scene the oh, dude, way the that scene is every done, time you choose is yeah. oh my god! Like, and there, there are people who enable him, but there's a reason that they enable him because they're right. they're mm. racked with their own guilt with things mm. that have happened to them. Right. So like every every aspect of the film is legitimized and 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 right. qualified. Like everything everything makes sense to me. And even if out, you aren't that, even if you've never been that heavy in your life, anybody can relate to the idea of eating badly when you feel sure. bad. And and the idea of like, you know, obviously the people who eat badly that don't end up becoming that heavy, there there's a bit of, I guess, quote unquote, more self-control. But in terms of his situation, what he went through, you understand why he's doing that to himself. Oh, sure. and, and, yeah. and, and you obviously don't want him to do it to himself. But depression and mental health and anxiety are so brutally loud in your mind when your subconscious is 90% of it and the other 10% is your conscious mind, essentially. So if you're reliving horrible memories and depression and anxiety and food makes you feel better for X amount of minutes afterwards, I under, I get why he's doing it. And I, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's 
it's just sad. It's so sad because like you want to, I want to reach to that screen and be like, man, like, like, let me get you to the hospital. Let me, let me help you out. But really nobody can save him. He only has, yeah. he only has the ability to save himself and he chooses what to do, what he wants to do in those remaining days of his life, which is incredible. It's a beautiful, wanna, it's a beautiful film. I want to point out something that'll be mainly interesting to the, the blenders um, on this year's top tens. You each put the new Aronofsky ahead of the new Spielberg uh, and remarkably, I didn't put the new Aronofsky on my list at all. Isn't that stupid? Sean O'Connell said he was the greatest filmmaker of all time. So ever, and I snubbed him. I snubbed him. And the reason I snubbed him is just because, like Jake said earlier, there's there's more than 10 movies that you can love in a given year. And um while I adored all the, um, I'm surprised the whales on your list. Film. Yeah, it was on the, it was on again on the rewatch where I was really moved by all the performances and yet, um, just didn't think that the story warranted, uh, inclusion in the top mm. 10. But I, I see all the things that you guys really loved in it and it would, it's definitely, you know, would have been in that next tier for me, but didn't quite push it over the top. Uh, Jake, you were at number three. Uh, my number three is James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water. Well, there we go. It is time to discuss The Way of Water, which is uh, on Kevin's list at number seven. Yes. And nine, yes. eight, seven. And, and not, seven not for not Kevin. And uh, nope, didn't make mine. Didn't make it. Wow. What? Is that, wow. I thought you were going to say it was your number three. Yeah, I did too. I didn't am make it. shocked that's not on your didn't list. make it. No, listen. Wow. It's, uh, wow. It, it was for a while, and then a few things shifted, and Avatar fell off. It's, Damn. It, Gabe, Gabe will tell you it's in my honorable mentions. It is in my honorable mentions. I, whew, wow. Um, I, I've seen this movie twice now. And, and look, we're talking, you're, you're, I am someone who, um, I've said this a lot, didn't particularly care for the first Avatar. The first Avatar did not make my top 10 list at all, didn't even come close to making my top 10 list. I am enamored with this film. I am mm. just, I mean, it, it, I even loved it more the second time than I did the first time. In fact, the first time I saw it, I remember thinking like, yeah, like it's, it's fantastic, but like it definitely drags a little bit the second act. But the second time I was able to see it, whenever I was, I was able to sort of step back and realize the entirety of the story that was being told, mm. I realized just how necessary it was to take a beat and explore the the world underwater for a little bit get to know the whales you know get to know sort of all of the, the kind of the it is it is very important and mm -hmm. the payoff of several significant moments in the third act don't work as well if you don't take the time to do the things that happen in the second act that's fair um that's fair. i i think it might may very well be one of, if not the most visually beautiful films I've ever seen. I don't care for 3D. I'm not a 3D guy. I hate wearing the 3D glasses. It normally doesn't do anything for me. There are moments underwater where I just thought, my God, like this is this You're is there. why 3D exists. Not How was to do these cheap conversions. Chicago the, 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 presentation. My Chicago presentation may have been better than our London presentation. No kidding. Because we made I jokes saw, at the yeah, premiere that, that like that, that was, we were seeing the most calibrated Oh, my presentation, DC. presentation was better than London. Yeah, wow. I, I saw I saw it at an AMC Dolby, wow. which is the Damn. best screen here in Chicago with premier 3D glasses and the premier seating position. And I'm thinking, my God, this is better. Yeah, this is just <laughs> phenomenal. I know we should have had the junket in Chicago, um, <laughs> but just oh, my God, it was it's just 
what an incredible, beautiful. I mean, like I just got excited when when I walked out both times. I like I, I find myself excited to tell people to go see it. It's just like and and like in the third act, you just want to go like James Cameron, you son of a bitch, like you, you son you, of a bitch, you get it, you <laughs> get, you get, like I'm I, like you're back, baby. Um, and I just not that they ever went anywhere. Um, but I just I I loved 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 Avatar: The Way of Water, and I I cannot all the people who are writing about how it's quote unquote bombing. I can't wait to um what? See no one is how, saying that realistically. <laughs> I was gonna say so. We're recording this on the nineteenth. This isn't <laughs> yes. coming out until the thirtieth. I, we think it's going to be over a billion dollars by the time this is I, like, I yeah, think, I think yeah, it'll be yeah, a billion by In fact, the, um, the adjusted weekend numbers are already up. It's already, I think, I think the adjusted was like 435 and it's already adjusting over 440. So like even, even zero competition yes. until I think Mar- I like March. I'm not kidding. Well, is it There's Ant-Man, nothing is else it coming. Ant-Man in February? Oh, yes, it is. Okay. That's, that's fair. Uh, um, where are we at? This is Kev, my number oh, seven, Kev, right? Kev, oh, oh, seven. Yeah. yeah, go Kev. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, sentiments that Jake shared didn't love the first Avatar. This was, you know, a monumental filmmaking achievement, just in, in purely in terms of uh, visual spectacle, but also the emotion really is there. I mean, the difference mm. between the first and second one for me is that I genuinely cared about the characters and the storyline. Um, from a filmmaking perspective, it is extraordinary. I mean, I mean, I felt like a kid again, like watching T2, just from a perspective of visual jaw dropping. How the hell did they do that kind of thing? And uh, I, I, I just found again, and this is super nerdy to get into, but the technical immersion that he was able to achieve with the 48 frames per second, um, you know, and the 3D and the Dolby. And, and it, it was just there was a there was an immersion that I had never achieved before as an audience member on that level with 3D. Um, it was there was just something about the 48 frames that made it so much more immersive, so much more real. I know it sounds crazy because we're in a fictional environment, but I'm telling you, there's scenes in this film from a performance standpoint, especially on Zoe Saldana's particular part. Um, there's a moment where something happens that's devastating to the to to the story. And there's a look on her face that is still shocks me, like her, the way the way her eyes yep. open in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. It was just it kind of reminded me of the moment. And this is a very strange comparison. Do you remember the movie? Remember the scene in West Side Story when Ansel Elgort uh, fig- finds figures uh, learns that um, that Maria's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. like, and there's a there's a there's like this shocking, paralyzed look on his face, like just like of just like, how do you even describe that to somebody? Mm-hmm. And. Um, it, it was on that level of just like seeing something and hearing something so devastating that you your face doesn't even know what to do with that. Oh, dude, I went numb. I went ice cold. Like I just I, I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Yeah, um, I know. And I, I think there uh, that that scene just sends shivers through my body. But like in terms of the, the storytelling, you know, I do find that the second act, while I do believe is, you know, a little longer than it needs to be, I do believe the payoff is worth it. That third act is some of the most stunning action I have ever seen put to screen. And, and you're talking about a guy who, you know, has been pushing boundaries since he first started. Um, everything he's doing has always been kind of the next level, right? And, you know, T2 to this day, I think, looks better than half the films that are out there right now, just in certain sequences. Um, but with Avatar... You know, it was a gigantic jump in emotion, a gigantic jump in technology. Um, it's it, it, this is the reason you go to the theater. Like, they, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a PRE type person here, but 
this is the type of film. And I and I, I want to can someone look up the name of the composer? Um, because uh, James Horner, his music, obviously for the first Avatar, those those main themes, those horns, um, they're they're it, they're just beautiful pieces of the Pandora. I think the guy's name is Samuel. I don't want to uh, botch it, but he continued Horner's music, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously wrote new to the story as well. But go ahead, Gabe. Uh, Simon Franklin. Okay. So I, I, I wanted to get his name out there because he the music in the film is incredible. And to to take James Horner's music, who obviously Horner's not with us anymore, and to continue it, but also expand on it and give new characters, new themes, but also keep it in the scope of that. I mean, when you hear those main horns, you know, you're in a devastating sequence like, like the, mm. there, when you know a score can cue you like that, mm. you, that you know where you are emotionally. Um, you know, Cameron's just a master at that. And I want to shout out Stephen Lang because he he really does carry these films <laughs> like that, that, that performance, he's the villain in the movie, but he's the arc that he has in this one with the spider character and kind of yeah. that earned arc that Quaridge, the character Quaridge or whoever he is. What, what Do we know his, is there a new name for him in this no, movie? No, they still call him Quaridge. Called, okay. Still call him Quaridge. Um, yeah, call and, him and so I, I, I found that to be, just a really interesting arc. I, he was, he had to earn that arc at the end and he did. Um, and all through performance capture. And then you can't even knock, not discuss the underwater performance capture and the actors performing that for real. So, you know, at the end it's of the day, it's really incredible how much of a difference it makes, like how oh, necessary huge. it was huge. because like it's you, so yeah. immersive that they just look, it doesn't right. look animated. It doesn't mm-hmm. look right. It looks like people swimming. It's crazy. Like look, look at look at the shot of Kiri when she's first exploring the water for the first time, and the smile and the wonderment on mm-hmm. her face as she's going through that. That is coming through a real performance. Like that mm-hmm. is not just some animation. Like there's an act. You know, I'm assuming Sigourney did that, did those sequences, but you know that particular moment to me is a real great look at what the underwater performance capture does so if you see a character riding a whale or riding an an, a a character or or some type of animal underwater that is an actor riding something underwater um and there's just some really cool like gopro shots when jake sully gets on the uh um, the creature for the first time um so it's just really well done and very interesting very immersive and just really emotional And, and and it kind of pays homage everyone says titanic they feel like Titanic at the end of the film, but it, you know, it's it, James Cameron. He's kind of playing homage to all of his films. It's, so it, the end is very much Titanic. Yeah. Terminator or Terminator two. Like yeah. it's, <laughs> in the best yeah. way. It There's is, also yeah. a lot of aliens in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, a yeah. Lot of aliens aliens this and, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stop ripping yourself off, Cameron. When you make something original for a change. For <laughs> hey, it's almost like yeah, James Cameron. might make Sean's top 10 list. <laughs> it's almost like James Cameron in his own way made a love letter to James Cameron films. Yes. All these other filmmakers <laughs> That's kind of funny. I'm down for this. Like uh, Kevin described Avatar 2 as uh, the type of movie that you go back to the movie theaters to go see. Uh, I want to borrow that exactly from my number three, uh, which is Babylon. Babylon to me is... Hollywood spectacle uh, at its finest. And it was Jake's number six. And so I'll go first and I'll talk to Jake. Um, First off, it's Damien Chazelle. And the way that it is filmed and edited uh, to his, the the musical clock that's in Damien's head uh, is masterful. Um, It's, there's so much going on. 
It's the type of movie that you never really know which direction you want to go. The camera, of course, is going to lead you through some of these magnificent party scenes, uh, some of these magnificent uh, on set scenes where back in the 1920s, when this takes place, there would be multiple productions that were filming at the same time so that they could rotate crews. And you're just you you're doing the sort of fly on the wall type of thing that Damien is allowing you to do and trying to pay attention to all of it. But even though that the movie is um, supposed to be about Hollywood of the 1920s and the industry trying to shift from the silent films to the talkies, I still think that there's so much commentary inside of this story and this film that everything old is still happening to this day. Uh, The things that it says about how somebody can be discovered through um, the, you know, the silliest of Things that happen, like there's something that happens at a party, so an actress can't make it to set the next day, and that's how Margot Robbie gets her shot. And then Margot Robbie having the talent to essentially do something just as simple as shedding tears and a director realizing what type of talent they have. Um, The scene where she has to try to uh, perform with sound for the very first time and Damien just letting us live in the complications Mm. that come with uh, being on a set. And all of us have been lucky enough to be on a set to PJ Byrne in that scene. He's outstanding, but even just like something as stupid as, you know, a door will open in the back and and he turns around to scream at the person who's coming in and it's the head of the studio. Um, the, the character arc that Brad Pitt has in Babylon is, I think, one of the toughest ones that he's had to accomplish. Um, and it's it's wrestling with the fact that. Everybody in Hollywood, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, your time is limited. And eventually you're going to get to a point where you're just not that person anymore. And for Pitt in particular, he's been lucky enough to extend it far beyond most people normally get to do. But there's a a speech given by Gene Smart in the middle of this that, again, I think speaks to every generation of of, uh, Hollywood people, which is essentially um, there are a thousand more. She's an entertainment reporter and she says there are a thousand more me's. That are going to have this exact same conversation with a thousand more yous. Um, but she reminds him, hey, uh, you know, generations from now, when somebody threads your film through a camera, you're going to be a bright star yet again. You're going to live on. And it's it's talking about the fact. And, and Kevin, I'm kind of stunned that this didn't make your top 10 because it 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 cements the fact that when you're put down on film, you you're eternal. You know, and to a certain extent, these people were dining off of that, you know, in this industry and it was decadent. Um, But then Damien also takes you to the under underbelly of it, where beneath Los Los Angeles and beneath the glamour and the glitz and these people who are behaving uh, in a way that they that no one should, that there's this horrifying side to society that these famous people aren't that far away from joining. Uh, And you see it through the eyes of Diego Calva, who is just a terrific tour guide through this incredible, incredible film. Um, Again, I think Damien is one of our sharpest filmmakers. Like the way that he uh, puts a film together is stunning to me. There's a sequence in this movie that, that had me on the edge of my seat and speaks to something that's really, really fascinating about filmmaking in general, which is there's a German filmmaker 
who has destroyed all 10 of his cameras and he needs one camera in order to get the shot that he needs. So he sends Diego Calva's uh, character out to go get to rent a camera really fast. So, the, so Diego Calva's character shows up with a place where you can rent the, uh, the camera from. And they said, look, it's out right now, but it's going to come back in 30 minutes. Well, it doesn't show up until several hours later. And he's sitting there waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. He finally gets the camera. He races back to the set. He hands the camera over to the director. He sets it up and he gets the money shot. The sun is falling at the exact right time. It bathes Brad Pitt and his leading actress in it. And they get the shot that is going to last an eternity. If you step back and think about it, if the camera was returned on time and Diego Calva returned to the set, the German filmmaker would have shot that scene in a completely different light and it would have looked different and the movie would have been so totally different. And these things that happen on these sets are miracles. They're miracles of timing. You can't predict how they're going to go. You don't like on a shooting day. How are you going to know if you're going to have the cameras? How are you going to know if you have the film? What if this thing happens at this given time? What if this thing happens at that given time? Go back and listen to Ryan Johnson's interview with us for um, Glass Onion, and he'll tell you a story about Breaking Bad and how they captured one of the most significant scenes of that entire show. And they got it at the last minute because he forgot they were going to shoot it and they were losing light. And I couldn't stop thinking about that when I was watching Babylon of the fact that this whole industry that we cover on a weekly basis is a fucking magic trick that probably should have told us this. Yes, on he did. Elvis. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And this whole year, we've seen several reminders of how uh, we make this shit up, kids, as, as Mr. Tom Hanks would say. And yeah. uh, Babylon was a three hour love letter to the fact that they did it then. And they're still doing it now. Also, I know Jake is going to jump in here, but there's a line in that scene that I think is one of the best lines in the year. The scene that uh, Sean's referring to where the entertainment reporter is talking to Brad Pitt about the end of his career, basically. And she says that the future future generations are going to watch the work, as you mentioned. But then she goes, you will take your last breath before that person takes their first breath. Yep. Yep. Who's going to watch your work. Yeah, that is insane. It's eternal. What a line. You're eternal. Uh, Jakey. Yeah. Number six for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a um, a three hour movie about how great movies are a miracle that that they come together and that they happen the way they do. Sort of the the throwaway line that I've been giving to people and it oversimplifies the greatness of this movie. But that I've been telling people that this is kind of this is Damien Chazelle's Boogie Nights and that it mm-hmm. it, it follows uh, an, a specific era of a specific industry and how much the, the change of the industry changes the people within the industry. Um, but instead of the world of porn going from from film to VHS in the 70s and the 80s, we're talking about the world of silent films as they progress into into talkies. Um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, it's so fascinating because, you know, so much about you know the, the fact that that just example crosses over, you know, you could take it out of film, you know, like honest, honest to God. And, and, and I don't think. I don't think there's anyone that listens to this podcast that would be offended by this. But I mean, you, you look at the world of junkets. You know, there there are a lot of people that do junkets that are from an old school era mm. that within the era, uh, social media and, and a digital uh, platform has mm-hmm. in, been introduced, which has completely revolutionized the way in which we utilize and disperse and the speed in which we do these celebrity interviews and get them out there and the way we get mm-hmm. them out there and the way that we spread them far and wide. And it's caused some people to be left behind. And it's, you know, I think that that's such a like an interesting example of how universal this story is that, that Damien Chazelle can take this very specific story 
about very specific people, many of whom, you know, most people watching that film will never be on a, a film set. They'll never understand what it's like to, to, to be a star in an industry and be left behind, you know, mm-hmm. but a lot of people are, have been in situations in their lives where something has changed and there either you keep up or you get left behind. And, and that's what mm-hmm. I always love about a great film, that a great film can be about specific moments, specific times, specific people, specific industries. But if it's done right and it's done mm-hmm. well, it makes you think about yourself and your world and your friends and your family and your job and the time period in which you live in. And that's what it did for me. You know, I, I have no aside from being a fan of film, I have no personal connection to the silent films of the 1920s. My mm-hmm. life wasn't affected by the jazz singer, but it made me think about the industry that I'm in. And I think mm-hmm. that there are a lot of people, maybe someone I'm going to throw so like someone who works in medical device sales. Maybe something happened in their industry where they had to like, like evolve or get left behind. You know, like I think that's that's what makes a great film. And it was and you know, and the one thing that we learned from Babylon is that great films are a miracle. And Babylon, I think, is a miracle. Absolutely. All right. Uh, this is going to be fun because I think this is this is one of my predictions. Uh, Kevin, your number two is everything everywhere all at once. Jake, your number two is everything everywhere all at once. Why don't we all talk about everything everywhere? No! All at once? <laughs> That's your number two. My number two. Yes, it is. Wait a second. That means that my number one isn't on either of y'all's list. No, that really I, yeah, isn't. no, it's on my list. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, this is. Um, oh, I see. A genius film. It's just a genius film. Um, I know that it'll be more rewarding on every rewatch. Uh, I feel like I get something new out of it each time that I go back and revisit it. Uh, I said this to the Daniels again, guest of the show, uh, that I, I'm so thrilled. First, I'm, gl- I'm glad I got to see it in a theater. I got to see it at South by Southwest with one of the greatest audiences. But I want to own it because I just want to pause it and just comb the backgrounds. Like they spend so much uh, time in their production design and their set design, uh, and they clearly have packed in some. It's like it's essentially to me, it's ADD filmmaking, but in the best way possible. Um, and I really feel horrible for the person who had to be there. Um, what's the term that I'm trying to think of where you're keeping the continuity, continuity, just the, the keeping the because there are scenes where like you'll cut to Michelle Yeoh, who is um, in a car and then someone steps up to the car and then it cuts away and then she's in a completely different scene. And you have to bounce around through the multiverse and pay as close attention as you possibly can to it. But the the commentary that it has beneath all of this flashy storytelling about a mother and a daughter and their distance uh, and how it's pulled them apart. And the father who, you know, is overlooked by the people in the in the family and the grandfather and the role that he has and and how each of these people throughout the course of this movie shed the uh, perceptions of who they are. Uh, Kihoi Kwan has it in the most outstanding scene, which is when he takes off the fanny pack and then uses it to uh, fight off all those guys outside the elevator. Um, it's a movie that is continuously, continuously upping the game uh, from scene to scene to scene to scene. Uh, and every performance is fantastic. Michelle Yao is outstanding. Ki Hoi Kwan is outstanding. James Wong is outstanding. Stephanie Sue is not getting enough uh, conversation for the performances she gives. The movie doesn't work without her. Uh, she's a terrific foil for Michelle Yao. Uh, the way that they jump from all the different versions of her character uh, and the number of different ways that they can imagine her going on this journey is absolutely spectacular. Um, and it's just it's funny. It's funny. It's insightful. It's moving. It's touching. It's uh, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. Right. I'm sorry. Um, it, it does everything. It hits every emotion 
and it challenges you and and rewards you in equal measure. And I will let uh, Jake go next because it's a number two for all of us. You are muted. You're muted, Jake. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm speechless sure, uh, about this movie. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's just a movie that you just you watch. I recently rewatched it. Um, uh, I think for the third time on a flight home from London from um, Avatar. And the more you watch it, I think the more you're almost able to sort of remove yourself because you've seen the story, you've immersed your story and you immersed yourself in the story and you're able to kind of watch it from an analytical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then it, to me, that's when it almost the impressiveness of it kicks in where you just go, how does this exist? And uh, like, quite honestly, like when I think about a lot of the um, uh, Oscar categories, there are very few of them where I can't say that it doesn't deserve to win. Like, right. you, you, you know, in terms of like editing, how like, look there, you know, there are a lot of great films released, but how do you look at the editing on this film and not say that has to be the most insanely difficult thing like that? That is, yep. and it's not just like, it's not flashy editing for the sake of flashy editing. It's, it is inc- all, it is narrative all story. Yes. And that's the thing. Everything that's a technical Marvel about this film. And there's so many different technical Marvels about it all exist to service the story it's not look what we can do because let's be honest the tools in which they had were very limited so the fact that they were even able to do the things they were able to do but the reason they got there is because it was absolutely necessary for them to be able to tell the story they wanted to tell and the result is one of the most powerful heart-wrenching life-affirming stories that we've seen this year and it's just it's just an unbelievable if if it weren't for my number one movie, which it's number one for a lot of reasons in any other year, this likely would have been my number one. But my, my number one's number one for a reason. But this one is just God. If it wins Best Picture, I'll be very happy. I won't be mad about it. Yeah, and it's all, you know, my number two, obviously. And I think, you know, mentioned the Daniels. They were on our podcast. We'd had them on recently. They were phenomenal. A lot of what I want to say, you can find in that interview, um, just obviously from a technical perspective. But, you know, you mentioned the ADD and ADHD aspect of it. I remember talking to the Daniels for the television junket. And I said to them, I was like, is it is it weird that I took away that this was kind of there was there was a metaphor about ADHD in here? And he goes, it's actually really interesting. Uh, they uh, either Dan or Daniel said, um, that they got they they were diagnosed with ADHD while writing the script. Oh wow! Um, and I found <laughs> that to be really interesting because the movie, to me, I think it means a lot to a lot of people. Like, I mean, there's there's so many thematics that you can dive into that are relatable um, to a lot of a lot of people around the world. Um, for me, as I was, I was I was watching it, you you understand all the thematics that are important to everybody else, but you also feel like you're falling off. The roller coaster at the at a, at a, at, a, at, a, at certain moments, like you feel like you're about to fall off. And I think what I think they were trying to do was jumble this idea, at least for me, about how your mind operates. What if this? What if that? What if I did this? What if I what if I made that decision? What if I uh, became that? Or what if I didn't tell that person X Y Z? Would my life be different? Would I be a chef? Would I be an actor? Would I? You know what I mean? And 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 we think about that all the time, rather than living in our present moment. Mm-hmm. And I think when the film kind of brings it back into its single lane where she understands that she does have a great life and that she does have a wonderful existence with, you know, she just doesn't know how to talk to her kid the way she wants to. Or um, to me, that was that beautiful idea of that presence in life and kind of what you deem important and 
stop doing the what ifs. I mean, even the actress version of herself wasn't mm-hmm. happy um, mm-hmm. or, or the, you know, so I think it, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing. We all want what we don't have and we all compare ourselves to other people. And at the end of the day, we're actually not living our lives. We're living the life we think we should be living because everybody else is living their, their lives the way they are living. But they also don't feel a hundred percent happy in the lives that they have because they <laughs> wish they had your life. I mean, it's pretty wild. I mean, that's literally what the movie, coaster. <laughs> it is, it's pretty yeah. insane. So I don't wrap this up, but that's, it was a really special film. Um, and then outside of all the emotional stuff, as we mentioned in the interview with the Daniels, and I highly recommend listening to it, the way they use aspect ratios in the film is really uh, a narratively driven, very fascinating. Um, one of the best moments, as you mentioned, the fanny pack sequence, when they really go from that one eight five, that tall to that, that, you know, anamorphic widescreen, like mm-hmm. old school fight sequence. It was so cool. And, and it's all done subconsciously to make you know where you are in the, in the story. Um, but if you notice it, it's kind of more of a plus too, as well. You kind of go, Oh, this is cool how they're playing with this. So uh, it's wonderful. I mean, and also- Michelle, yo, Kihoi Kwan. Um, I, I want to make sure I pronounced his middle name right. Did I get that right? All right, cool. Huh? And also, um, I just love him in the film, and I, I'm so excited that he came back for this. Obviously, we know him as Short Round and in, in the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, but and Goonies, and you know, and he's Dana. amazing. But in Dana, yeah, Love but he him as Academy Award winner. That's true. Probably. He's going to win. No, and, I'm, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Stephanie because I thought she was phenomenal. Everybody in the film, Jamie Lee Curtis, it's, it, it's just it's just really well done. So yep. um, I hope Michelle Yeoh wins the Oscar. It's amazing really that like we all three of us have gone and we just now mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis. We haven't talked about The Rocks, The Hot Dog Fingers, The Everything Bagel, Rakakuni. Like it's one of those movies where like as people mention stuff <laughs> in so it, you're much. like, oh my God, yeah. I totally forgot about that incredible part of that movie. So I can't uh, believe right. they made that movie works. It, 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 it is so insane. We, we it's so it insane. A couple of times. It's a miracle. It, yeah. It's a miracle as are multiple films on this list. Yeah. All right. We're going to throw it to an ad break because uh, yeah. on the other side, we're all going to reveal our number one picks. 2022 as well as the collective Roblin top five so stay with us everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, and we are back. So I'm going to go to Kevin, and I want to read his top 10 leading into his number one. So at 10, he has Clerks 3. 9 is Scream. 8 is The Atom Project. 7 is Avatar The Way of Water. 6 is The Fablemans. Five, Top Gun Maverick. Four, Banshees of Inishirin. Three is The Whale. Two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Kevin's number one film of 2022 is... Jordan Peele's Nope. Here we go. And uh, yeah, it's so... I've already waxed poetic about on the show about it a lot. Uh, But it's a a film that I, I... When I got out of that film for the first time, it was so overwhelmingly insane that I don't even understand. I don't even remember like coming to a full conclusion. I just knew what I saw was special, but as I kept going back and watching it, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth viewings, 
um, you really you really get an idea of the brilliance because I, mean, I already loved it on the first viewing. I just what's weird about it is I loved it so much. I didn't even know really what I loved about it thematically because I was so blown away by the just the production scale and 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 Hoytema's cinematography and Michael Abel's score and uh, Kiki Palmer's performance. And um, but as I've d- dug deeper into it, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this film that watch it once. They only watch the surface level story from A to B. They don't want to dig deeper into the into the concepts and the thematics of what he's dealing with. And I understand that. And, I, and, and if you don't want to go to the movies and, and, and to work, I get that. And I, and, I, and I think a lot of people want to sit back and kind of enjoy the enjoy films and not have to work through them. And I think surface level, the story is pretty much A to B, you know, like the, the they're, they're trying to capture an image of whatever this alien form is. And that is the, you know, the, the basic premise. But underneath all of the uh, uh, sequences are incredibly deep themes about the way we exploit tragedy in this world. Um, uh, a beautiful bond between a brother and sister, how that gets broken and, and, and rebonded. Um, and at the same time, this concept of trying to capture everything we do in our lives on film or on camera uh, and not actually being in the moment, but the exploiting of tragedy, I think to me was the thing that hit me the most because I didn't, I thought about this theme before, obviously, but at the end of the day, the way Jordan drove that home, I just think that that's what the movie's kind of talking about is like the obsession that we have with tragic incidents and the reason why it becomes entertaining for people. Or the or why we're so obsessed with watching material like that. Um, and look at the way our news leads stories. What is the mm. leading story you look at on the news every day? Someone's been murdered. If it Someone, bleeds, you know, Kevin, it leads. Right. And Nightcrawler played with this, obviously, this thematic yeah. as well with Jake Gyllenhaal. But there was just, and again, I'm I'm taking it beyond the world of note because now that I'm viewing the world very differently through the eyes of why we exploit tragedy, why as a media we do. Um, and I think that there's a fascinating thing there. And I think the way that he plays with the unknown and the, and the wanting to film every aspect and then the idea of digital versus film and the thematic of the only way they can capture this image is through physical film and the and and that's what the money shot ends up becoming is on film uh because digital gets shut down as this alien comes by um and then on top of that just performance wise daniel kaluuya's performance it's so understated but in the best way possible that guy is probably one of the best actors with eye movement that i've ever seen if you like there's a sequence when he's in the uh in the truck as the as jean jacket is above is above him and it's just a shot on his face reacting to it all. And it's just his eyes essentially telling you what is going on in that sequence. He has some of the most incredible internal ability as a performer to just nail these scenes in full IMAX where you're on screen in full, incredible uh, high def. Um, and on top of that, you know, moving on, like Hoytema shooting on IMAX, the narrative decision is to jump to IMAX. Michael Abel's score it is just an incredible achievement. It's a masterpiece on 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 so many freaking levels. It's almost hard to describe how brilliant that film is. And Hoytema is amazing. Michael Wincott, last thing I want to say, when he goes into the <laughs> into the into the jean jacket to get that impossible shot, and you know that 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 camera's gonna get spit out and that film's gonna get processed at some point, and he died for that incredible shot with his legs going into the into the jean jacket. It's just <laughs> 
Oh, anyways, he's Quint. Jake, what do you want yeah. to add? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, there's really not much left to add. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, no, dude, it's your number, it's number one. one you, you know, yeah, it's yeah. your number one. Um, you know, I, here's what I'll tell you. I mean, in, in the same way that I oversimplified Babylon by by saying that it is Damien Chazelle's Boogie Nights, my elevator pitch for people that this this is Jordan Peele's Jaws. It's his. This is his, now granted that is an oversimplification because I think all of the things that Kevin said about that movie, I mean, time's going to win with that film. Um, I, I love this film. I think it is a movie that um, is getting some recognition at the at the end of this year. I think it's popping up on this list, maybe that list, this nomination, that nomination. But I think this is the exact kind of film that we're going to be looking back on in yeah. 15, 20, 30 years and going, my God, audi- like audiences did not understand the genius. I mean, I think this is the kind of movie that is going to yield think pieces and books and anniversary lookbacks and and you know uh, but you know i i really do i i it really will. do um and i i i i think i think time uh which can be the the greatest cheerleader or the greatest you know a uh, uh, death note for a film uh i think time is going to be very very kind to this film and i because i think this this film is one that it does take Look, Kevin, not not everyone has the time to to see a film as many times as you do and process it the way you do. So you can't fault audiences for not getting to your level just yet. But over time, they will. And I really do think that that over time, people will start revisiting this film. They'll start, you know, because I think a lot of people went in expecting to see a an alien horror film right and then kind of paused and went wait wait i'm sorry it's what is this about it's about what and then once they realize over time that things will start becoming more clear they'll start thinking about it they'll start talking to people i had a buddy of mine at work the other day i said i watched nope and uh i you know but i don't get it what you know and i said well okay i said here's like like all the peel <laughs> films here's what yeah. i got out of it i felt that it's about x and y and z and then and let me t- let me guess he was like oh, oh i want to see it again oh, right, 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 right he goes oh now i kind of want to watch it through that prism i think a great example is when they're uh, at the fast food restaurant contemplating mm-hmm. how they're going to capture and they don't realize that there's a fight big fight going on outside that's such a sort mm-hmm. of microcosm example of a lot of the things the film's trying to say, which we're so focused on our own shit that we're not yep. realizing what's going on around us. And if that message can be conveyed in a 90 second clip, imagine the messages that are being conveyed in a two hour movie. It's a great film. Time will be on its side and you will be proven right, Kevin McCarthy. And one more quick minor thought. Um, I want to mention sound design real fast. When you see the film again, pay attention to how he uses sound design, specifically when Daniel goes outside at night to tend to the horse and the music starts playing in the house and then Steven's the character across the way. The sound design is some of the best I've ever heard. And they also shot all those night scenes during the day. Oh, don't even get me started on that, please. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's get to it. <laughs> Jake Hamilton, uh, your... Oh, let me read your list. Okay. Uh, Jake had The Fablemans at number 10. Elvis at 9. Nope was at 8. The Whale at 7. Babylon at 6. Jake put X... Ty West's X at number five. Banshees was also at four. Same as Kevin. He had Avatar 2, The Way of Water at three. His number two film was Everything Everywhere All at Once. And his number one film of 2022 is Top Gun Maverick. Hey, Top Gun Maverick. Well, guess what, Jake? I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. Because my number one film of 2022 is also... 
Top Gun Maverick. Now you and I are handcuffed together. <laughs> yes, we are. Do you want to yes. read your list as well, Sean? I'll read my, ris- okay. my list really yes. fast. Top Gun uh, Buddies. T- 10 is Hustle, 9 is Bardo, uh, 8 is The Fableman, 7 is Marcel, The Shell with Shoes On, 6 is The Batman, 5 is Emergency, 4 is Glass Onion, 3 is Babylon, 2 is Everything Everywhere All at Once, and my number one film is the best film of 2022, Top Gun Maverick, uh, which Kevin also had at 5, so uh, high, high on his list as well, too. Uh, Jake, why don't you start with the reasons why this is the best film of the year? Well, I just want to give a quick little backstory. So around around October or so, I don't know about you guys, is when I kind of start the process of formulating what my top 10 might be, what it's going to look like. Yeah. And same. really start kind of looking for like what has the potential to be my number one. And I kept being drawn back to, 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 to Top Gun. And I was just like, no, like it can't be Top Gun. Because like, you know, because there was a part of me that was like, I need something with like more uh, oomph to it. I need something with more prestige. I want something. Yeah, yeah, I want something. I want Mm -hmm. something that, you know, you know, it's going to, you know, that's not a a big summer blockbuster. I want, you know. And then there was just this moment where I kind of paused and went, no other movie has made me this happy. No other movie has gotten me to go back and revisit it three times. I saw it four times in theaters because I kept wanting to bring people back to see it. No film had me buy it the day it came out on digital and just put it on in the background. Like occasionally no film has had me YouTube sequences at work during the day just because I want to see them. No, no film has gotten me uh, all emotional over the title credits at the end with the Lady Gaga song cutting to all like their fate. Like, and so I just sort of paused and went, what the hell is wrong with me? Like what, why, why, what am I doing? Why am I like this film is everything that a number one film should be for someone. It, it yield like it, it's made me the most excited I've been about a movie movies and the movie going experience in years why wouldn't I make it my number one? So I finally just went, screw it. It's my number one. It's the exact re- reason a number one movie exists to, to, to yield those sort of feelings from me. Everything about it, I love. I love I love the the visceral, authentic action. I love that it is both uh, a testament to the old school mo- movie star, but also a perfect example of why the movie star needs to exist. I love that it is uh, a, f- a foot in the 80s and a foot in 2022. I love that it introduces a new cast, but also recognizes like Tom Cruise is the star of this movie. I think it is probably the most rewatchable film. I, I'll, I'll probably rewatch that movie more in 2023 than I'll probably watch most 2023 movies. I just love it. It, it. it has a huge part of my heart. And whenever I think of this year in film and the theatrical experiences and, and all of us being on a, an aircraft carrier in San Diego, like I just, to me, like I look back and if I had to encompass my happiness of the theatrical movie going experience in 2022, it, Top Gun is the personification of of where that joy came from. Well, I understand what you're saying. Like you, when you're thinking about your your all time top movie of the year, when you're putting a list together, you want something that kind of like pushes the boundaries or reinvents the wheel or, sure. you know, makes you rethink about how movie making is made. Um, and what Top Gun does is adheres so closely to the proven formula um, that it just it does every beat that you expect it to do, but it does it at a 10. 
it nails every single thing it's supposed to do. And that's why for me, everything everywhere all at once was my number one for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And Top Gun was going to fall somewhere in the top five. I wasn't quite sure. And I went back to rewatch it a couple of different times. And like, if you just think about like his interactions with John Hamm, you know, mm-hmm. they are so, you know, exactly what that relationship is. You've seen that relationship a million times, but when it plays, it plays so beautifully because it has an understanding of what it is more than, you know, so many other films like that are. It, it embraces exactly what it is. Um, and Harris's character showing up at the beginning to shut down the test is a character we know. We've seen it a million times. And even putting Ed Harris in that part, you're like, that's exactly who I would cast. I would cast Ed <laughs> Harris in that part. And it's ideal. And the way that they interact with him and the way that he's, you know, just like when I knocked uh, Avatar The Way of Water down a little bit, it's because when Cameron wrote dialogue for um, his villains, to me, it seemed a little bit cliched, a little bit heavy handed and a little bit hammy uh, with the Marines, you know, and all that, all that shit. But when Ed Harris says, you know, uh, the future is coming, son, and you're not part of it. And, you know, Tom Cruise says, well, maybe so, sir, but not today. You just stand up on your you just stand up and cheer, you know, because you're just all of those. Lines you're are like, perfect. He's talking about movie stars. He's talking about himself. <laughs> he is. And it's just it's it's so perfectly calibrated to entertain um, that you you just go along for the ride. It reminds you exactly like Jake said, it's it's everything you love about movies and movie stars. Um, it's, it's a movie that, again, shouldn't be this good because it's a legacy sequel. And we've seen so many of these try to come back uh, and force it. All the new people that they brought in are fantastic. It made me like Miles Teller. And nothing makes me like Miles Teller. And I thought he was terrific in it. When they I'm sorry, were you the rooting end, for J.K. Simmons in Whiplash? Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> Throw the symbol lower. Um, <laughs> when they hug at the end, I I cried. I literally cried, and and it was. It has so many exciting moments. The the element, the the scene in the middle where Maverick flies the the route in under under the time that he's supposed to fly it, and to show to them that it can be done, is one of the greatest scenes of the of the year, if not of several years. And you know it's coming. You know that that's the only thing that has to happen for him to prove uh, how great it is. So, and I, I want to push is, back on like one criticism because I love that oh. people like are coming at this with going like, well, like you know, the the end is just it's just the trench run from Star Wars. To which I always tell anytime someone tells me that and feel like people like get off on telling me that I always go, you know, Star Wars is just a recreation of all the stories George Lucas watched agree like you know star wars isn't the first movie to do star wars right like right. this like yeah. this the, 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 like holly this is what hollywood does it, it takes so many stories that we know and love and gives us kind of like okay but what if it were like this sort of and thing so also, like and now we finally have dune you know which is the original now we have dune yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh luke skywalker wasn't pulling that many g's i'm very sorry yeah. <laughs> when he was flying <laughs> out of that trench <laughs> i have it as my number one i gave in like jake said and i just said look i'm, I'm fighting i'm fighting against I'm myself so, it's ridiculous you and me baby we're handcuffed it's, together for it's a year. so wonderful and uh and Kevin Kevin is is number five kev uh, you- uh 
We have, we have to cut our palms and then like press our bloody yeah. palms together. <laughs> I mean, I love Top Gun Maverick. It's it, it's it's an incredible um, cinematic achievement in terms of like going to the movies. That was obviously, you know, Kaczynski did a wonderful job from a technical standpoint, obviously with the cameras and the cockpit and the real flying and the very oh. minimal CGI and um, just the immersion of that. It was, it was one of the most incredible crowd pleasing films I'd ever seen in a film in a, in a movie theater. Uh, Cruise is fantastic. Ham is fantastic. Teller is fantastic. Glenn Powell's arc and that oh. shootout that when he shoots that enemy flight and then like you realize it's him was so awesome because like mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of felt bad that he was grounded, even though he was kind of like the douchebag or uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. Sorry. Three, two, one. I, I kind of felt bad that he was grounded because he was kind of the jerk to everybody in the film. And essentially he earned that arc. He earned that moment. And I, and I, I love doesn't he go up to Miles Teller before they leave? And says yes. that you, you're yeah. going to do, and like that's yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like his the redemption of that character that that arc he realizes that Miles yeah. is a better pilot, and essentially that can fly for this mission particularly. And then I just love that he got that moment at the end, and it was like really kind of solidified how well they all worked as a team. Oh, um, dude! But yeah, the it, was, it was wonderful. The, the Killmer scene. Oh, the Killmer scene. Oh my god! It. I, I, I agree <laughs> with Tarantino. That scene should not have worked, but yeah. it was incredible. I rewatched that scene the other night, and I'm like, this should not work, but no. it does. Like, it like works when so Tom well. Cruise hugs him, it is so. Like, I felt like that was Tom Cruise hugging Val mm-hmm. Kilmer mm-hmm. for yeah. real. Like, like, thank you for doing this kind of thing. But the way Kilmer plays that scene, really, Cruise really obviously carries that scene. Uh, and it's all on Cruise's face. Absolutely. But the way Kilmer carries that scene, it's such a great scene. And that scene is so well written and so well done. And it was so great to see Kilmer do it. And that, and that could have not been a great scene. It could have been really poorly written and cheesy, but oh. it worked so well um because yeah. again in the formula it has to end on a joke right, right. and it ends on the killer but joke the best joke it's the best everything it has yeah. to do it does at a 10 it's yeah. incredible it's, it's incredible it's so good and the imax scenes are amazing i do want to mention we had joseph kaczynski on the show for the film uh we also had jordan peele on for nope if you haven't yep. listened to that uh, we've oh had God, a lot of great filmmakers. Show. I hope he hears this one this year. And Joe yeah, listens and, to the show. He told yeah. us on the, Joe, on the carpet. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations, right. sir. And the movie is incredible. And, and Jake and I loved your movie tens. and Kevin didn't. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I, I had it at number five. I, I absolutely hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Let's get to the uh the collective real blend Ooh, I'm top. So five. intrigued by this. It is very fun this year. I will quickly go through this. Uh, and picking off our list, we we already start with a tie, which is fun. This has not <laughs> happened, I think, for a couple years. Explain how this works real quick, Gabe. Uh, basically, uh, the higher it is on your list, the more points the movies get. I add up all of your uh, lists, and and then whoever has the most points is our movie of the year. Interesting. Right. We go from there. Oh, X isn't going to make it. So tied <laughs> for fourth. Uh, making up the bottom two in our top five is Babylon. Okay. Okay. And nope. Interesting. And nope. And oh, nope. Wow. Tied for fourth. Nope made it. I thought it wasn't going to make it. Jake saved you. Jake saved you. Adding it right, to his Because list. my one gives it weight, right? And then yeah. I guess it has less weight on Jake's end, but it still makes it there. Got okay, you cool. through there. Let's just call it cool. Nabalon. Nabalon. At number what three. At number three, we have the Banshees of Inishirin. Oh, what? Yes. Oh, that sucks. That's right. Damn it. That's right. <laughs> so far, Banshees. the entire real blend list has been on my list. I'm just throwing it out is, there. It uh, is on your list. All I'm garbage. good. I disagree. At number two, 
Hmm. We have friend of the show, Joe Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. Oh, Interesting. Yes. Oh, so everything oh, everywhere gets what? number one. Beating out Top Gun by one point. It was on all of your number two slot. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't like that. I do love that. I don't understand how... It makes perfect sense. I would like to lower lower everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, It works this way. It's simple math, uh, Jake. Top Gun Maverick. I do that from Texas. We don't believe in math. Top Gun Maverick got 20 points between you and Sean at number one. But it got six points uh, at Kevin's number five. Mm. Each of your My second fault. place was worth nine points, which gave it 27. Damn points. you, Kevin McCarthy! Yeah. Well, no, you guys all had everything everywhere all once at two. It's your yeah, fault as well. It's going to be one. Yeah, yeah, but you all had, we all had the everything everywhere all at once. I think we'd like to lower everything everywhere all at once. No, I, I, no, I think that's beautiful. Can't. I think it's beautiful that <laughs> everything list. that was on your, your number two is our number one. It makes sense. Uh, In so, an yes. alternate universe, Top Gun's number one. Real Blend's nope's favorite one. Real Blend's favorite movie of 2022 is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. Great with that. That. I'm not mad. I'm at great that. with that. No, I'm that's great terrific. That. Gabe, yeah. I know you hate doing this, and then you're probably yeah. not even going to answer. But Gabe, you got to give me your favorite. You got to give, give, give me. It's going to be best picture. I have I'd have to think about it. I haven't even thought about it. I'd have to think about what it. What have you been doing, Gabe? Come on, off the top of your head. I don't do. Off the top of your head, what's your favorite? Uh, uh, I, I mean, everything, favorites. everywhere, all at once is up there. Top Gun Maverick is up there. Um, Babylon is in the running, Babylon. Um, which will. Well, we haven't had our chance to review it yet. We're, we're recording this before we record the episode that comes out before this, which is a little odd. But um, can will, you read our honorable mentions? Uh, sure. The honorable mentions that Sean had were Avatar, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and the mm. Northmen. Mm. Jake's North honorable mentions great. were. The Batman, Weird, and Glass Onion, which is fun mm-hmm. because Kevin's honorable mentions were Weird, Glass Onion, and Prey. Oh, oh nice. Prey's a good one. I'm yeah, going to confess to you guys, one. I think um, the 35-minute video of our upcoming interview with Tom Hanks has a good shot at making my top 10 of the year. Top 10 movie? It's, it's that good. Because it's, 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 it's that good. What I'm going to do good. is I will just repeat it. Like I'll put it back to back for like 90 minutes so we can. That's see what I'm going to do. In so the feature category has, for festivals. Yeah. yeah. I'm very has. happy with our collective list. But, uh, on a selfish note, I'm happy that Nope is in there. Nope's uh, in there. Just on a selfish note. Um, but second of all, I think I actually, I, I like that we collectively, that that does feel like the number one. out of If we all had that yes. at the same number. Absolutely. That's pretty, and, and I really do think that movie's gonna win Best Picture. Banshees, so, I mean, too high. Banshees is not too high, man. Banshee, high. you're you're sleeping on Banshees a little bit. You know what, Sean? You're, I don't want to be the person I wouldn't want to be. I was just about to say, you're the person I wouldn't want to be friends with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I throw my it. fingers at you. Don't want to be your friend anymore. We're not gonna tell you why. We just don't want to be your friend anymore. Before before Sean saw uh, Marcel, Avatar was in our top five. Oh, oh, see, Sean, you can't blame yeah. me for none of this, yeah. man. And I, I think I, I'd have to check. I forget what my totals were, but it was either Nope or Babylon that was that was that would have dropped Ooh. out. Ooh. Oh, see, I helped you out. Gone. Marcel moved uh, Nope up. There you go. I, I honestly went before Gabe read the Real Blend Collective. I thought Nope wasn't going to be on it. I'm okay. actually I think. But that makes sense considering I had it so high. Yes, it got a Jake, lot of Jake, 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 Jake. So, so how many points does Nope, get from Jake's number eight. Uh, three. three. Three three points. No, was like, so I, didn't do, points. I didn't do that much for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Because if you didn't put it there, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be on the top five. Nope. 
Nope. Exactly. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's nope. get out of here. Long episode. Thank you, everybody, for whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, hang on. No, 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 what? Sean. You're doing exactly what you should. But we're out of sync here. This is our last show of the year. We got to give a thank you to everyone for listening this hey. year. We really do. Thank you. What well, a year listen. we've had. What we've a had year. It. My it's God. So true. Um, thank you to Tom Hanks. Uh, thank you to every guest who has joined us. Essentially, <laughs> if you, um, particularly those that let us into their homes. Oh yes, my God. which is wait, which are we going to do not one but two? Yeah, <laughs> are we going to go over like our favorite interviews of the year? Like, I remember, maybe I, at some I, point I, we can post our top five favorite interview moments on our social media pages, Kev. If you wanted to do that, you wanted to give it you some collective. Sure. You know, maybe maybe I'll maybe your, I'll do a little. I'll clip them out with links right. to the full interviews. See, there that's, you go. Hey, that's being, like Del Toro. Well, well, we won't let you guys into oh, our Del production Toro meeting, which we're impromptu. Yes. Thank you all for listening. Uh, it's yeah. been another incredible year and hopefully next year um, is even cooler. Hopefully we get to meet some of you, see some of you again. No promises, no, no firm plans that I can point to, but uh, it feels like 2023. We might, we might finally get back to that. Tom Hanks. We want to come to your house. Let's, let's wrap on that. Oppenheimer. Hockey Oppenheimer. Pads. Tom Hanks's house. <laughs> <laughs> As humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.